3.03 a.m. Can I have a roll call, please? Commissioner Anderson? Here. Commissioner Griffin? Here. Commissioner Jupiter-Jones? Here. Commissioner Louie? Here. Commissioner Mazzola? Here. Commissioner Buell and Commissioner Hallisey have excused absences. This is the Recreation and Park Commission meeting of January 19th, 2023. The San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone peoples who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We honor the Ramatish Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As stewards of parkland, we recognize our duty to honor the Ohlone through thoughtful and informed preservation and interpretation of ancestral land. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. Good morning and welcome to the Recreation and Park Commission. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall room 416 with options to join and provide public comment remotely as well. We ask that you please turn off electronic devices and take any secondary conversations outside in order for the meeting to proceed as efficiently as possible. We ask listeners to turn down your televisions and or computers while listening on the phone. We ask for your patience if we experience any technical issues. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. He's gonna be a little... Unless otherwise announced by the president, each person will have one minute for public comment on each item. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available both in person in City Hall room 416 and via phone. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. For those who would like to join the meeting, the meeting remotely, you can view the meeting live on sfgovtv.org or via webinar using the link provided at the top of today's agenda. You may provide public comment remotely via, via our webinar or via phone by calling 415-655-0001 using today's access code, which is 2486-285-6294, and the webinar password is 0123. When you hear the agenda item you would like to comment on called, dial star 3 to be added to the queue to speak. You will be lined up in the system in the order you dial star 3. The system will notify you when you are in line and waiting, during which time the system will be silent. All callers will remain on mute until their line is open. Everyone must account for the time delays and speaking discrepancies between live coverage and streaming. Please address your comments to the commission during public comment on items. In order to allow equal time for all, neither the commission nor staff will respond to any questions during public comment. The commission may ask questions of staff after public comment is closed. If there is an item of interest to you that is not on the agenda today and is under the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, you may speak under a general public comment, and that is item five. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways, by emailing recpark.commission at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment, oh, sorry, via email, it will be included in the legislative file as part of the matter. Written comments may also be sent via the U.S. Postal Service to San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission, 501 Stanyan Street, San Francisco, California, 94117. The following are short announcements for those of you joining us in person today. If the fire alarms activate, you must evacuate the building in an orderly fashion using any exit. Please note that the elevators immediately return to the first floor and are not available for use. If you need assistance outside of the building, please make your way to the closest area of refuge, 
which is directly across the hall in the men's restroom. Inside the restroom is a speaker box. Press it and City Hall Security will answer. Let them know that your location and they will assist you. Please note that this commission meeting is recorded and will be available for later viewing on sfgovtv.org. I also want to mention that we have speaker cards um, available for filling out at the front table if you'd like to speak on any item today. Um, and if you fill it out now, you can just drop it over here behind me and I will look for them periodically. So please don't walk up to the front here. We are now on item two, continuation of remote meetings. Would you like to uh, say something about that? This is just to allow us to continue to have remote or hybrid meetings for the next 30 days. Enough said on that topic. Um, does anyone have any public comment on item two? Okay, and any public comment on our phone line? We have a hand, but I, I'm guessing that they raised it before this. Um, okay. So I would say we probably have no public comment, so public comment is closed. All right, item three, President's Report. I am choosing to share this time with some. I need you to vote on item two. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Can I, do we need a motion? Can we have a motion and a second to so move. So move. meetings? All those in favor, state aye. 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 No opposition? All right, motion carries. We are now on item three, President's Report. All right, I'd like to share the time with my fellow commissioners, and I'm going to start with Commissioner Griffin. Well, I wanted to just make a couple of remarks about the uh, department's MLK lunch that was held last Friday. Um, it was an amazing lunch. A lot of our departments showed up, uh, but I think we can always do better on that in terms of attendance. Um, we gave out awards to certain staff, but the highlight of the day for me was Dr. Cheryl Evans. Uh, Dr. Evans is the executive director of the Human Rights Commission and an extremely, extremely bright young woman who um, is quite an orator and quite a singer, as she taught us at the lunch. Um, her comments were something I think should have been recorded. Um, Phil, were they recorded? No. Ah, well, that's too bad, because uh, they were really right on the money. But there were three of us there from the commission, uh, Vice President Anderson, myself, and Commissioner um, Hallisey. Hallisey. Why did I blank? I'm sorry. Um, anyhow, it was a wonderful day, and it was the first time it's happened in three years, or, or two years, I guess I should say, because of the pandemic. So hopefully next year's celebration will be even bigger and better. So that's all I wanted to say about it. And I'd like to add that our apprenticeship program yes. received an award of excellence. And uh, I would like to continue to tout what a great program that is and how it gives young people valuable skills uh, and an opportunity for dignified pay and benefits. And the people that you meet that go through the program are so jazzed up, just so motivated. Um, it's really a wonderful thing to see. Um, I'd now like to share some time with Commissioner Louie. Uh, thank you, Vice President Anderson. Um, this Sunday is Chinese New Year's, and it's uh, the lunar year 4721, and it is the year of the rabbit. And 
not that I am uh, offering any predictions for the year, but there are some things to look forward to. Uh, it still requires a lot of our patience, but the, um, the rabbit year, they say, symbolizes hope. And it's just not the rabbit, it's the water rabbit, which maybe explains the weather we've been having. <laughs> uh, but with water, water also um, helps our trees and our flowers grow. So it, it is a year of hope. Uh, we still have to practice patience. Um, but the Lunar year, New Year typically celebrated for 16 days. And starting the eve of uh, Sunday, which is Saturday, all the way through, and by the way, the Chinese New Year's Alaska Airlines sponsored parade is uh, Saturday, February 4th. But the, we celebrate until February the 9th. I'm very superstitious. Um, deep roots in San Francisco Chinatown. Uh, so expect firecrackers to welcome the new year, to scare away all those evil lasting spirits. Uh, they say that it is supposed to be a more calmer year. Uh, we don't see that all in the world, but um, we, we hope for that. So um, as a rabbit falls under the, the uh, anybody that is of a wood element, this is going to be a very good year because it's the water rabbit. Thanks. Thank you so much. I am born in the year of the rabbit, which is the luckiest symbol in the Chinese zodiac, and I woke up feeling very hopeful. It's going to be a great year. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. All right, Commissioner Jupiter Jones. Hi, thank you. Um, I just want to share um, the, this time to highlight um, our an event from our Requity program. So for everyone here, Requity is um, a citywide program of our department that offers free, dynamic, engaging, and culturally relevant recreation program to youth under 18 that are living in shelters, foster care, public housing, or housing developments. Um, the program is designed to support participants and their families by connecting them to Rec Park programming and other relevant resources to promote a healthy and active lifestyle. This is one of my near and dear favorite programs of our um, of our department. And over the holidays, Requity hosted the Triple T Season of Giving. The Triple T stands for Turkeys, Trees, and Toys. And from November to December, they partnered with the SFPD, the Sheriff's Department, USF, Project Level, the A. Philip Randolph Institute, and the SF Housing Authority to deliver 7,000 turkeys turkeys and food bags, 300 trees, and over 15,000 toys to families living in public housing here in San Francisco. Um, a very amazing, powerful event, and definitely shouting out the Requity staff, Linda Barnard, Joaquin Perlas, Nate Ford, Monica Ferry, and Charnay Springfield. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I'll add to the report that um, already in my life, before I became a commissioner, but certainly augmented and supported by my experiences with the commission and all the amazing people that I get to work with in Reckon Park, with a very visionary leader here, Phil Ginsburg, who may or may not be paying attention at this moment in time. Always, always paying attention. <laughs> always. I just enrolled. My special sauce. <laughs> I just enrolled in a fairly new program out of the University of California called the Climate Stewards Certification Program. So beginning in the end of February, I'll be taking courses and then doing field study in Point Reyes 
with the hope of finishing that, I think my capstone project is probably going to be around helping to augment a naturalist program for the city and county of San Francisco. I'm really, really excited about this. I think it will probably be the beginning of my new life as a naturalist. So that is my report. That will conclude the president's report. Is there any public comment in room 416 on the president's report? Seeing none, I will go to our line. Is there any public comment about the president's report? We still have one hand raised. Why don't you unmute them? Just I want to double check that this is not what they want to comment on, and then we'll move on. Go ahead, speaker. So sorry. Yes, I did this prior to the meeting, but it's for a different. That's number. what I thought. Oh, okay, sorry. I just wanted to make sure. Thank you. So um, here, go ahead and continue. I did want to invite everybody. There's going to be a celebration at Esprit Park tomorrow from one to two at 20th and Minnesota. Um, it's going to be sort of a groundbreaking there. So everybody, come on out and help us celebrate. Especially bring the kids and the dogs. Okay, seeing no further public comment, public comment is closed. We are now on item four, the general manager's report. Good morning, commissioners, and happy Good new morning. year. Thank you for your various uh, updates and acknowledgement of our some of our fabulous programs, which is a good segue to where I wanted to lead, which is uh, I think you've probably seen uh, online at this point our uh, fabulous uh, 2022 community report, uh, which we do every year. We put it out the first week of January. Um, this year, no exception. Uh, it's certainly been been a year, uh, and uh, a lot of highlights which we're proud of, including the completion of Francisco Park, the f first new park to be built in the city's urban core since 1983. Uh, the creation of the permanently car-free JFK Promenade, uh, the environmental cleanup completion and groundbreaking at India Basin Waterfront, uh, which we're thrilled about. Uh, Hertz Playgrounds reno Hertz Playground under renovation is underway. Construction has also begun on the new Hers Rec Center. Uh, the reopening of Rossi uh, Pool, which we were all at this time last year, I think actually. Uh, Waller Street skate park improvements were unveiled. We secured an additional $4 million in federal funding for Buchanan Mall. We were able to restore the Japanese Tea Garden's historic pagoda. We hosted World Cup watch parties that saw over 10,000 people show up to the various events over the month. Uh, and we welcomed 3,500 campers back to Camp Mather for the first time following a two-year hiatus uh, due to the pandemic. It wasn't a perfectly smooth summer, but then again, at Camp Mather, it never is. <laughs> um, our parks had lots of big moments in 2022, and obviously we're excited for that momentum to continue. Uh, and uh, as I know all of you are, I am just so grateful to uh, our Rec and Park staff uh, who really made this year a very memorable one, um, you know, Folks who are responsible for project management and accounting and HR and our communications, including our community report, our partnership division, some of the administrative 
folks that are tend, can be a little bit more behind the scenes at times, although they're, these are the people that you're more likely to see at a commission hearing. Um, really, so all of us working together to support the men and women on the ground. And uh, you don't need to look any further than my next uh, topic, which is our storm and park impacts to really uh, have a true and deep appreciation for our structural maintenance yard, our gardeners, our park rangers, uh, our rec staff, our urban forestry crews that, you know, really go above and beyond to keep people safe and engaged even when uh, circumstances make that really difficult. Um, uh, but they show up every day. And, you know, in a world where so many of us have the opportunity to telecommute now or to work from wherever, it should never be lost on us that our rangers and our gardeners and our structural maintenance staff and, you know, a lot of, and our rec staff too are, are there every day. They show up. And I think that's the note that I want to remind us all as we express appreciation for our team and for all the wonderful things that we accomplished in 2022. Um, if you haven't noticed, it's been raining. Uh, we have seen an unprecedented amount of rain, 17 inches. Uh, our uh, his, uh, historic research reveals that the city has not seen this much rain within a three-week period of time uh, since the mid-1800s. Um, but with rain comes flooding, downed trees, mudslides, and, and tragedy. Um, uh, it's been widely reported, but certainly worth acknowledging that uh, we were heartbroken to learn uh, that last weekend one of our uh, a regular park visitor uh, uh, did suffer a storm-related fatality uh, in Golden Gate Park. Um, according to the Chronicle, uh, she's been identified as San Francisco resident, 73-year-old Beth Louise Abrams. Uh, our hearts go out to her family. And we are super grateful to the first responders who, who assisted her, uh, as well as our maintenance staff, our gardeners and arborists who've been on the look at, lookout for you know, hazardous occurrences 24-7 uh, you know, for the last three weeks. And you know, unfortunately, sometimes these things defy logic. They defy prediction. They defy inspection. They, they just happen. Um, the storms have also... Uh, you know, uh, less horrifically, but they have also resulted in a lot of flooding in our parks, uh, creating either, depending upon your vantage point, uh, new and temporary lakes or just very large puddles. Um, most of these uh, spots are expected to drain on their own within the next few days. Uh, we are actually draining right now. I just uh, uh, just went went past our crews on the way to City Hall. Uh, we are draining Peacock Meadow, the site of Entwine today, uh, even though it is a spectacular visual, electricity and water do not mix. So that one will be drained. Uh, and the rest uh, of some of the flooding that we've been experiencing is actually going to happen on its own. And um, as I noted to uh, a, a reporter yesterday, uh, actually the park was designed this way. Um, we have some low-level meadows and valleys and spots that actually intentionally uh, collect water. And what is the advantage of that? While it, you know, gets in the way of some of our recreation, uh, it does keep uh, uh, excess water out of our storm system. And as we know, uh, over the last three weeks, different neighborhoods have experienced flooding. 
So the less water in our storm system, the healthier our storm system is at a, at a, at a moment like this. And it also recharges uh, our aquifer. Uh, beneath Golden Gate Park is a big water table. And historically, um, going back to our windmills, uh, that water table has been used to irrigate the park among other purposes. Starting next year, um, that water, which is potable, will only be used to provide uh, a source of water for San Franciscans. Uh, and we will be moving to recycled and reclaimed water in Golden Gate Park, uh, which will quickly become the largest urban park in America to operate on recycled water. So we're excited for that development. Um, and, you know, despite, uh, you know, the, just the, the horrible tragedy, obviously, this is uh, all this rain and has been an important moment for California and for our reservoirs and uh, for the health of our, our park system in some strange ways, too. Um, uh, as uh, uh, Vice Chair, I was going to call you Chair or President, and then I just didn't know. Vice President. Vice President, <laughs> Vice Chair President, sitting in the President Chair's seat. Uh, as Commissioner Anderson announced, uh, tomorrow we will be holding an actual groundbreaking uh, for Esprit Park. Uh, uh, groundbreaking marks a series of improvements coming to this beloved two-acre space in the dog patch. Improvements include landscape upgrades, an entirely new irrigation system, regrading efforts, drainage improvements, and much, much more. The park was uh, originally built by clothing manufacturer Esprit uh, as an outdoor area for employees. When the uh, and uh, you know this commission has. Uh, an interesting connection to Esprit. Uh, when the company eventually pulled out of the space, uh, the city acquired the park in the mid-'80s, uh, but the design was really never intended to accommodate what has now really become a dense and thriving neighborhood with lots of dogs. Uh, so these improvements are much needed and will make a world of difference for our dog patch neighbors. <laughs> who visit the park daily, and we will have space for off-leash dogs and yet also have space for young families, uh, as I think you remember a really fun uh, hearing on the concept design for this complicated space. Um, anyway, we are thrilled to be finally under construction. Uh, this project has great support from UCSF, which deserves to be acknowledged uh, and um, absorbs a tremendous amount of passion and energy and advocacy from the neighborhood. Uh, so it is nice to move from the planning phase to the construction phase when everybody can take a deep breath and know that their hopes and dreams are in the process of being realized. The event goes from 1 to 2 p.m. at 20th and Minnesota Streets, and we hope to see people there. It's going to be a nice celebration and our first one of many in 2023. Uh, I'm toggling between good news and bad news today. Uh, another, we did have another unexpected loss within our department. Uh, as you may have read this morning or heard on the news yesterday, the, the, uh, the death of Blanche, uh, the swan, one of the most famous swans in the city. Uh, Blanche was a well-known fixture at the Palace of Fine Arts Lagoon, where she would welcome visitors daily with her serene spirit. Uh, she passed away yesterday, January. Oh, she actually passed away on Jan. Yeah, yes, yesterday. No, a week ago. I'm sorry, Thursday, January 12th. 
at the age of 28, and uh, she died at her home in Sonoma County, uh, where she had retired to back in July 2022 after spending most of her life at the Palace of Fine Arts. Blanche is survived by her son, Stanley. <laughs> I'm, Stanley, I hope. I'm, I'm actually quite serious. Uh, her volunteer caretaker, Gail Haggerty, and countless numbers of admirers, including our own staff, city residents, and tourists from around the world. She was extremely well photographed. Uh, her physical beauty was rivaled only by her beautiful soul. And I'm going to continue to try to get through this without cracking a smile. Uh, she will be deeply missed. Uh, to honor Blanche, we are asking park visitors to step outside and enjoy a city park just as she would have wanted. So uh, our, our delightful memories of Blanche, may her memory be a blessing. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll move on. And uh, a special shout out to Tamara Glad you Apperton. you didn't whitewash that. Uh, spe a special shout out to Tamara Apperton, who did spend most of yesterday drafting Blanche's obituary. Uh, these are real jobs we have. So I just wanted to share that with you all. Uh, as Commissioner Griffin noted, last week our department celebrated uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day with our 39th annual MLK lunch event at Minnie and Lovey Ward Rec Center and the first in-person lunch since 2019. And Commissioner Griffin, while this is such a lovely event that we'd always want more people, I was thrilled with the attendance at the event, yes. both from staff and community members, uh, and extremely appreciative of all the hard work that went into the event from the uh, MLK Organizing Committee. It was uh, a huge success and attended by a remarkable number of city officials, uh, including our mayor, Senator Scott Weiner, State Controller Malia Cohen, Supervisors Shimon Walton, and Asha Safai. Uh, SFPD Chief Bill Scott, SF Fire Department Chief Janine Nicholson, uh, SFFD Assistant Deputy uh, Chief uh, and Parks Alliance Board Member Sean Buford, uh, 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 Commissioner Griffin, Commissioner Hallisey and Commissioner Anderson, uh, and uh, obviously Director Davis, who was not just our keynote speaker, but a surprise award winner, uh, and all emceed by our uh, new Superintendent of Parks, uh, Nick Williams, uh, it was fantastic. And uh, the theme for the Keeping the Dream Alive Award was furthering the quest for equity and inclusion, uh, which uh, certainly uh, uh, is consistent with uh, Human Rights Commissioner, uh, Commission's Executive Director Cheryl Davis's entire sort of mission and approach. She received the Community Award and our apprenticeship program for our focus on on hiring and uh, workforce development and job training uh, received the internal award. So we, we give one award to a community member and one award to either a staff member or division every year. Uh, we were not only, uh, we were honored not only to be able to celebrate Dr. King's uh, legacy of inclusion, but also to be able to recognize those like Cheryl and like our apprenticeship program uh, who are furthering it. Uh, I really want to uh, give a huge shout out uh, to all the staff that are involved in putting this on. The food was home cooked. And yes, after uh, a firm declaration that no, not again this year, I will not eat collard greens. I ate collard greens and they're actually pretty good. So they were you amazing. can teach an old dog new tricks. Um, <laughs> and uh, it just a really, really, really lovely event. Um, 
and thanks to the retirees who came and community members. Slight um, correction, it did happen in 2020. I was there. Uh, yeah, well, uh, we can, uh, you before can. Before the pandemic. Yeah, before pre-pandemic. Yes, you're right, in January 2020, the, we shut down in March. Um, Lunar New Year, as uh, Commissioner Louie noted, begins Sunday, January 22nd, and Commissioner Louie can speak much more eloquently um, about uh, uh, the significance of the rabbit. Uh, I, am, I paid attention to the patients part of it, Commissioner Louie, uh, in addition to collard greens, uh, two areas of growth for me, patients and collard greens. Uh, there are, uh, s but with that said, there are so many events hoppening uh, in the coming weeks. Ooh, 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 ooh. We have our basketball jamboree at Willie. You know, <laughs> we take our jobs very seriously here at the Parks Department. Uh, <laughs> we, we have were, our basketball. We were waiting for that one. Basketball jamboree at Willie Woo Woo Wong Rec Center on Saturday, January 28th. And of course, the wonderful, incredible, fantabulous Chinese New Year Parade, the biggest Lunar New Year Festival outside of Asia that winds its way through Chinatown and by Union Square. That happens on Saturday, February 4th. Uh, so we are very excited about this year's Lunar New Year events. Uh, and then moving on, I want to remind everyone that our very successful and also acclaimed Greenager program is now accepting applications youth applications for 2023. We are seeking standout ninth and 10th graders who live in or attend a school in the city's southeast and northeast neighborhoods to participate in the program, which runs from June through November. Teens get to work on their leadership skills while also improving the city's green spaces and addressing important neighborhood needs. Uh, last month, we graduated our 2022 Greenager class uh, in which we're also proud of their accomplishments. I'm very grateful to uh, a number of you were able to be there. I actually was not for the first time, but uh, a sincere, th sincere thanks for, uh, to all of our Greenager graduates for their contributions to our parks over the last year, uh, and we are thrilled to welcome uh, this program into 2023. Uh, and we are now focusing, I'm very pleased to report, on three different neighborhoods in addition to the Bayview and Chinatown. This program has expanded into the Tenderloin. So um, it is, it's just terrific and a big shout out to my team that administered do a great job. All right, wrapping up here. Um, the, our video of the week uh, is last month's India Basin Shoreline Park Toy Giveaway. Uh, take, let's take one last look at the holidays before we move on to uh, uh, Lunar New Year and uh, Women's History Month and then spring training and the opening of baseball season and summer, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll take one last look back at the holidays. Uh, our toy giveaway was hosted uh, by our India Basin Project team led by the A. Philip Randolph Institute. Uh, huge success. We had more than 150 families attending. Children picked out uh, toys, all of which were free, obviously. Uh, there were music and snacks, a visit from Santa, uh, a raffle, lots of holiday activities. Uh, the video also highlights the recent the, the ceremony we held for the newly painted India Basin Shoreline 
uh, Park Hype Court, which we commemorated on that same day. The designs were created by local Bayview Hunters Point artist Nina Fabunmi, along with help from five neighborhood youth who were tasked with creating designs that embodied themselves and their community. I want to shout out Paint the Void, which helped coordinate all of the volunteer painters. Uh, the giveaway and hike court were made possible through the Park Project's Equitable Development Plan, which serves as a guide to ensure that the new park will be designed by and for the Bayview Hunters Point residents. So let's take a look at that, and uh, then we can, uh, I guess, move on to other matters on the agenda. <coughs> So I hope everybody had a lovely, lovely holiday and that 2023 uh, fulfills all your hopes for uh, health, community, uh, and parks. And that concludes the general manager's report. Thank you, Phil. Is there any public comment in room 416 <coughs> on the general manager's report? Seeing none, do we have any hands raised on our comment line? Seeing none, public comment is closed. We are now on item five, general public comment, up to 15 minutes. This item will be continued to item 16. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission and that do not appear on the agenda. With respect to agenda items, you will have opportunity to address the commission when the item is reached in the meeting. That means if you are joining us on our line, this is not the time to comment on item eight, to be clear, this is just for items that are not on today's agenda. I do have one speaker card filled out for Angus, if you want to come up and speak now. Welcome. Commissioners, good morning. I'm here to advocate that Snow Lake be renamed for Patrick Quigley, a man no one has ever heard of. Yet he's the man to whom we all owe a debt of gratitude when we come to Golden Gate Park seeking peace, serenity, and tranquility. In 1872, when Golden Gate Park was more dream than park, Patrick was hired as one of the park's first employees. For 40 years, until he died on the job in 1912 at the age of 84, Patrick was the foreman of the park's laborers and teamsters, supervising all the work that went into the park's creation and maintenance. Working nine-hour days, six days a week, he was a working man. You have 30 more seconds. Go ahead. He was a working man who spent his life and literally gave his life to give us Golden Gate Park. 
Now, 110 years after his death, I propose that we finally give Patrick Quigley the long overdue recognition he truly deserves his name on a feature in his beloved park in which he lived, worked, and died. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Members of the public, I'd just like to let you know that you have a minute and you'll get a, uh, a warning at 30 seconds, so you can just ignore that initial warning. Would you like to speak during general public comment? You stood up. Yeah, come on up. Uh, for, I didn't see one for general, but that's, that's fine. Please. Hi, Bob Welcome. Paul here. Um, I'm here to report on Golden Gate Audubon's annual Christmas bird count. Lauded as the world's longest running citizen science project, Golden Gate Audubon held its annual Christmas bird count in the rain on December 27th. Hundreds of volunteers spread over multiple locations from North Tower of Golden Gate Bridge to Lake Merced to the wetlands just north of San Francisco International Airport to tally birds and celebrate nature. The bird count is an all-volunteer effort to survey every bird in North America, which includes our amazing park system that you oversee. A total of 122 people signed up for the count, all checking every creek, grassy meadow, pond, rocky hillside, and forest on RPD lands from sunup to sundown. All totaled on San Francisco Reckoner Park properties, these hardy birders logged in 643 miles, 708 hours, and saw 161 species. A remarkable 28,500 birds were counted in our parks when all the species were added up, including rarities like red nape sapsucker, Tennessee warbler. Go ahead and finish your sentence. Tennessee warbler, snow geese, blue-gray gnatcatcher, orchard oriole, and rock sandpiper. I have another paragraph of the history. I guess I'll just... Thank you. Would you submit it to Ashley, and I'll circulate it to the commissioners, please. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, please do. Thank, Thank you. you for coming. Is there anyone else in room 416 who'd like to speak during general public comment? Seeing none, I'll move over to our public comment line. No hands raised there. Seeing none, public comment is closed. We are now on item six, the consent calendar. Commissioners, I assume there's nothing you'd like to remove from the consent calendar today. Um, but Can I hear a motion in a, con in a so second? Moved. Second. Um, all right. All those in favor, state aye. 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 No opposition. Motion carries. Okay. We are now on item seven, the San Francisco Zoo, and we have Ingrid Russell here joining us remotely. All right. Welcome, Ingrid. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Ingrid Russell. I'm the director of collections at the San Francisco Zoo. Um, that means I wear a lot of hats, but in general, I oversee the management of um, our animal collection. Um, and this is a busy time of year for me. I want to share a PowerPoint with you to show you what I've been up to. Uh, hopefully that's coming through. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, great. Um, so I'm I'm the zoo's registrar also, and um, as part of my annual duties, um, this is a busy time of year for me. One of the things I do is an annual census for our animals that are managed in groups, and uh, a lot of say, for example, insects in the insect zoo. Um, our prairie dog colony um, uh, groups are 
animals that are housed together and may be difficult to um, individ individually identify. So later in the presentation, I'll give you some numbers um, to update uh, what, what the groups are and what our total count for the zoo is at this point. Another one of my duties is to get <coughs> updates from the holding facilities for animals that we own that are out on loan to other institutions. Um, this is a requirement of our um, accrediting body, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Um, currently, there are uh, 31 animals out on loan to 19 institutions across the United States. Most of these are for breeding. Um, and another thing that I tend to this time of year are our permitting annual reports. Uh, we are uh, under the auspices of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in terms of our permitting for um, our eagle collection, and that includes live animals and um, biofacts. Uh, eagles are something that are really highly regulated um, by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, we need a permit for them, and every year we're, we're required to report uh, how many programs we've participated in, um, how long, how frequently the animal was on exhibit, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, also our koalas are owned by the Australian government, and we give an annual report to, uh, to our the Australian Wildlife Trade Office. Um, just as an aside, uh, we are also inspected every year um, by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, we hold a, a permit, or it's actually a license, uh, to have animals on grounds, USDA, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife does an annual inspection. Um, so that's just a continuation of the the other our other oversight or regulators. Um, we had some really cool additions to our collection in 2022. <coughs> uh, in this photograph, that's an axolotl. Uh, this was a confiscation. Um, they're common. Well, they're found in the pet trade, although they're a critically endangered species and highly regulated. Um, so they are not supposed to be in the pet trade. Um, so anyway, five of them were confiscated by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and we are now housing them at the zoo. Um, <coughs> We also brought in Ballymina again. That was an animal that had been in our collection in the past, but we hadn't had for a while. Uh, Blue-throated macaws are a new species on exhibit. Um, we received a pygmy hippo, another species we haven't had for a long time at the zoo. Uh, we received four yellow-crowned Amazons that were also um, a seizure, a confiscation from um, California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, to add to our tropical building. And uh, we're now, I believe, the only facility at all <laughs> that uh, exhibits Yosemite toads. Uh, we have four that are on exhibit over by the Children's Zoo. Um, the Yosemite toads are a part of our conservation um, template. Uh, we have a, a number of animals that we really focus on local conservation and there were these individuals were considered non-releasable, so we received permission from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife to actually have them on exhibit. So um, we're very proud to be able to showcase those those animals to the public. 
Uh, we also bolstered um, some of our higher profile programs with Mexican wolves. We have uh, four female Mexican wolves now in our revamped exhibit near the bears. Uh, that's really a great exhibit. That was a big project that we undertook in 2016. Uh, we brought in a female koala, so we're now breeding koalas again, which is very exciting. Um, and we brought in a female Komodo dragon uh, to the expansion that we made for the Komodo dragon exhibit. Um, so we do have two animals. Um, they're not currently housed together, but we have space now to accommodate both of them for potential breeding in the future. Here's just some uh, images of the animals that I was speaking of. The, the macaw on the left is the blue-throated macaw, Bali mina, really charismatic, gorgeous bird in the, the center. Um, they have a really interesting story, the Bali mina. They were almost hunted to extinction in the wild for the pet trade, um, but because of uh, conservation efforts, reintroduction efforts, um, their numbers are, are now uh, growing. Pygmy hippo on the right, and uh, that's the yellow-crowned Amazon on the bottom. Uh, these are the animals that I mentioned um, that bolstered our uh, breeding and conservation programs. The Mexican wolf in the middle is a highly endangered um, species. That uh, program is, is headed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We were asked to hold animals for that program. Um, Komodo on the top left and a very cute koala on the right. So going back to our numbers, um, as of January 1st, 2023, total numbers of animals we consider individuals, meaning they're not living in a group, um, 471 for our main zoo collection. Um, that is only down about 10 from the year before. Um, we have lost some, some of our megafauna. Um, you know, we're doing work on our lion and tiger areas. Um, so we have just two lions on exhibit in, around the lion house while we complete that renovation. Um, although we do have more snow leopards on exhibit now with that expansion, which is really exciting. And also the addition of the pygmy hippo. Um, including groups. Um, so we have a back of house conservation effort um, that focuses on um, species that I'll show actually later, a little bit later in the presentation. Um, but we, we house thousands of local amphibians that we are head starting, uh, which is a way that you can bring animals in from the wild, uh, particularly with everything that's been happening in California around climate. Um, these are amphibians normally found in water, uh, a couple frog species that a lot of their areas have dried up or are really impacted by um, local climate change. Um, so we partner with um, the Yosemite National Park um, to bring in animals that are in danger of, of dying in the wild, um, get them healthy here. They go through a vaccination program and then they're re-released um, back into the wild. And that has been just exceptionally successful over the 10 plus years that we've been involved. 
Uh, many of these animals are small, um, so we can accommodate more of them. We have a really nice back of house area that we've expanded over the years to accommodate more animals um, and have increased our number of staff that are devoted to that. Uh, so in any case, um, that's around the conservation number. Um, the 2300 plus main zoo, a lot of those animals are in the insect zoo, um, but this is a breakdown of um, our individuals and group numbers. So it, obviously it brings the number up quite a bit. Uh, so here are uh, some images of our conservation species, the local conservation animals that, that we work with. Top left is Yosemite toad, red-legged frog, the um, tadpoles are yellow-legged frogs. Uh, we're also still working with the western pond turtle, or what's also known as the Pacific pond turtle, um, and our fork-tailed damselflies. We do raise them at the wow. Children's Zoo, and they're re-released um, here in San Francisco. That's a seasonal project. So this last slide is um, just a summary of uh, what our groups and colonies are. A colony <laughs> is something more than 500, you know, so many that you can't possibly count. Um, an example of our groups that are managed in the insect zoo, most of the, the insects are in groups of animals that you see there. We have um, many numbers of, that number is not right. There must be an extra two there. I think there's only, I would say there are 52 groups rather than 252 groups. Anyway, excuse the typo. Uh, prairie dogs, we have a total of 23 right now in that exhibit. Um, we do still have um, peacocks, although with the avian influenza, those guys have all been rounded up and are managed behind the scenes right now. Uh, but we have approximately 23 individual peacocks. A um, number of our amphibians are managed in groups. Um, the total numbers there with over 1,800 being the, our conservation animals, uh, one group of lizards and uh, one group of fish. So I think that's it. All right, thank you, Ingrid. I know it was Ingrid. a lot of information, but if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. All right, thank you. Is there any public comment on the San Francisco Zoo report in room 416? Seeing none, is there anyone with their hand, nobody with their hand raised? Uh, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Commissioners, did you want to talk about anything on that report? I have a question. Go yes, ahead, uh, Commissioner Griffin. I had a question about the damselfly. Did you say that you released those in San Francisco? And if so, where, where are they released? Uh, the site that I'm familiar with um, is close to where the Golden Gate Bridge comes onto San Francisco. So I, I've only I haven't been to the site myself. I've only seen photographs of it, and it's right along the shoreline. Um, and so I don't know the exact name of that location, uh, but of course this is all done with. Um, uh, with permitting um, in place, so our our local regulators are aware of where those releases are are taking place. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. No other questions at this time. Thank you, Ingrid. We are now on item eight, the pickleball overview. 
I know Dana is coming up to do a presentation. As a reminder, for those of you who are here in room 416, I have some speaker cards up at the front table there. If you haven't already filled one out and you would like to provide public comment, please go ahead and fill one out and bring it over to the desk behind me. For those of you who are joining us remotely, you can dial star three now to be in the queue to speak on item eight. Once we take public comment in person, we will move over to remote public comment. Welcome, Dana. See if I can stand here, um, split the difference. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Um, I am here, this is Dana Ketchum. I'm the director of property management. I also have with me Beverly Ng, who is from our public affairs division, um, who is going to um, be available to answer questions and help with parts of this presentation as well. Um, today we are here to discuss um, possible action regarding the possibility of creating dedicated pickleball courts at the Stern Grove Tennis Center or the Larson Tennis Courts and Basketball. Uh, a little bit of background on pickleball, which I believe most of all of us know, it has grown like crazy. It has started in 1965. It has gained popularity across the United States and in particularly in the past few years. Here in San Francisco, we have had more and more developing uh, fans of playing pickleball. Uh, during the pandemic, it added to a sense of community because it was one of the things you could get outside and do and see people. And, um, and we recognized that we needed to address this um, growing interest. In um, 2018, seeing this happening, um, we created a working group consisting of pickleball community members and working to support the pickleball community by identifying priorities, adding new courts, providing equipment, developing procedures, and a series of different processes. And I'm gonna skip a slide to this one. Um, and in the course of those meetings, we, um, we established a couple things about what works best for pickleball. Um, the community ideally would like a dedicated pickleball complex with fencing wrapped around, a location with ample parking, and a location with a restroom. But in the meantime, we did some things to try and address the demand quickly and easily. Um, we did create some dedicated pickleball courts, 11 of them. But we also worked with them to dual line our tennis courts so they could be used for tennis and pickleball. Um, starting in 2020, uh, every tennis court has scheduled to be repaved, had dual lines uh, added to it. Uh, we also um, provided dedicated pickleball hours at certain sites. What we learned from the pickleball community is they like to gather together and play. And since they didn't have nets, it was really important to have dedicated times when they could come out, set up the nets, and play together. And we, can, and we created those sites um, at two places. One is at Presidio Wall, and the other was at the Stern Grove Tennis Courts. Uh, and they had certainly worked with the existing community of tennis players, and we negotiated and gave dedicated hours. 
Um, we allowed for them to provide equipment, storage boxes where they could keep it, and over time, that is further developed to us actually providing rolling nets at some sites uh, so that people can just roll the net out and play pickleball. And then finally, we've created reservable pickleball courts, um, free reservation systems like we have for tennis. So today, um, we are looking at these are sites in the city where you can play pickleball. Some are outdoor courts, some indoor courts. Um, you know, and you, there's sort of a line between them if it's dual play. But we have um, we've worked really hard to do that. Um, but creating pickleball courts has been a park and open space conundrum because we only have so much space. And it has been challenging to find an outdoor location with a hard surface, fencing, ample parking, and restroom amongst our parks without taking away from other communities. And hence, we are sitting here today with representatives from the pickleball community and the tennis community um, as we have tried um, to find the right balance um, because we also, while we have 140 tennis courts in our system, they are incredibly popular too. And, um, and the tennis community, we have an online system. Those, those with the exception of a few courts, they're all, they all get booked within five minutes of opening every single day. Um, so the tennis community, and tennis also grew in during the pandemic because it was a sport you could do. Um, so, um, you know, we have worked really hard to try and find the right balance. Um, we have created 48 dual line pickleball courts that can be used for both. And, um, and we're continuing to, um, to try and find solutions. Um, so let's, let's move on to kind of and, uh, the, where we are today and, and what we're kind of trying to address. One of the courts that had been dual play was Sterngrove. And uh, when it, it had been renovated, um, so actually a little further background, um, because of the demand for tennis in 2017, we got a donation of about over 800,000 from the tennis community to upgrade our tennis courts because they were gonna lose some tennis courts because of some other projects in the city. And one of those courts that got upgraded was Stern Grove. And they said, sure, put in pickleball lines as well as tennis lines so it could be used for both. So after, um, during the pandemic, well, Stern Grove had opened during the pandemic, so limited, we, we created dedicated pickleball lines at Stern Grove um, each day about between two and a half and three hours. And, uh, and things were moving along, but as all of you know, in August of 2021, um, the water line broke and Stern, major portions of Stern Grove were destroyed. Um, the tennis courts were significantly impacted and also have had to be used as a staging area. And so that closed down. Um, recognizing that there was a dedicated community that was playing at Stern Grove, we kind of quickly moved and added pickleball lines at Parkside nearby and created some dedicated hours there after negotiations with the Parkside tennis community, who is very active, um, and trying to kind of find a good compromise with everyone. As the PUC continued to work on repairs to Stern Grove, the pickleball community approached us 
to proposing to convert the Stern Grove tennis courts into pickleball courts. Um, it included uh, eight dedicated, the proposal would be eight dedicated pickleball courts and tennis would no longer be able to be played at um, Stern Grove. We, um, we held uh, a meeting in November to, well, first we analyzed it and we looked at the, that proposal. And as I'll go through in a minute, we felt we should look at other nearby sites as well. And we'll go through those different proposals. Um, one, and, and we held a community meeting with over 300 people attended. Beverly, do you wanna talk more about that meeting? Yeah, Beverly's gonna help me out here, thank you. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, before we get to the community meeting part, so we did actively work with the pickleball working group to kind of go through the discussion of the proposal they had for Stern Grove. And it became apparent for us that we needed to bring it to a bigger audience in the general public to get additional feedback beyond just the pickleball community itself. So in early November, we held a community meeting with over 300 people. We had all four options available on poster boards and we gathered feedback from that. In addition, we had public comment. So for a good hour or so, we had feedback from tennis community, pickleball community, and also folks who played both. And so from that feedback afterwards, we went back and continued to analyze. We also did get over 300 emails as well in support of pickleball, just not just for Stern Grove, but overall in the city as well. So it has been a very active process. We've heard from almost everyone. We've also heard from other folks that are not in the pickleball or tennis world. When we were looking at different options, we also did intercept surveys at certain locations to kind of get an understanding from folks if there was interest for pickleball there, and there was interest as well in other places. So it is a growing sport and we're trying to accommodate, but we're also trying to balance in a sensible way. And the four options that we laid out to the community were things that Dana and staff really looked through in terms of what was possible, understanding the prior priorities that the pickleball working group gave to us when we were looking at sites, and also what is feasible within our system as well. So Dana will walk through the next four, happy to answer any additional community feedback later on. Thank you. Thank you, Beverly, for um, taking us through. Um, it really was, and, and Beverly was instrumental in leading all these um, many community discussions. Um, so moving on to the options that we looked at. So the first option we looked at was converting the two tennis courts, and you can see them on the um, one side of your screen, they're the light green color, uh, into eight dedicated pickleball courts at Stern Grove. And we looked at them against the criteria that, we, um, that had been developed on early on, and also criteria that's important when you're looking at building a major, a significant complex to accommodate people throughout the city. And in looking at it, it didn't meet um, all of our original priorities or the department staff view of the necessary priorities. While it had eight dedicated pickleball sites and it has uh, reasonably ample parking for the city, the nearest restroom was a significant and difficult walk away. Uh, it was not adjacent. Um, the nearest restroom is in the Trocadero building down at the base of Stern Grove. There is a casual dirt path um, that when it's rebuilt will be there, uh, but it is not easy to access. Um, it had other pluses. It had less wind than Larson. It had potential for expansion into horseshoe pits. Um, and they, the pickleball community strongly did, favored this option. 
Um, again, the challenge taking two tennis courts from the rest system, uh, no adjacent restroom, and the tennis community did not favor, strongly did not favor this solution. Option two was to go to nearby Larson Park, where we have a tennis and basketball court next to each other, and convert that into eight pickleball courts. So we would, we would remove one tennis court and one basketball. There are nearby courts um, near Larson um, that provide for tennis and basketball, and there is a restroom on site. So this did meet our criteria. Um, it has, you know, ample parking. There's some construction going on. I was there yesterday, so making, that makes parking bad right now. But it, the PUC, it's almost done, and um, the location has a restroom. There is a uh, restroom right next to the court. Um, it has less impact on the tennis and basketball community. And um, there is potential in the future to expand into the adjacent field. Um, the challenges was that it was expected to convert, take um, six months longer than Stern Grove, and the pickleball community was concerned that this would take too long. Option three that we looked at were multi-line courts um, for both tennis and pickleball at Stern Grove following our current practice. This would mean that you could play either, we could set dedicated pickleball hours at this site and we could provide rolling pickleball nets at this site. This did not meet the criterion because it did not create dedicated pickleball courts and it does not have an adjacent restroom. Um, it only allowed for six versus eight courts. So um, that is, was our analysis of this one. And then trying to be really creative in the area, we also looked at, um, the there's an existing croquet court that is not really utilized at Stern Grove where we could place eight pickleball courts. Um, the challenge with um, this site is that it isn't, it's not a hardcore development would be extremely costly. We would have to, as since we would be creating an entirely new facility, we would have to create ADA parking and ADA access to it and, um, and a much more complicated project um, and a much more expensive project and would take a long time. So going back and, and looking at Larson, which seemed to meet it, I just wanted to lay out where there are nearby basketball and tennis courts. And, 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 and we did have a meeting. We reached out to the Larson community. Um, we contacted uh, people who have made reservations at Larson. We contacted community groups at Larson. And Beverly's team did those intercept surveys of people out on the courts, using the courts which is one where she ran into someone who said, oh, we could have pickleball here. That sounds exciting. So, um, but that was one person. But we did not have any negative feedback on Larson. So the department and staff um, went, walked away from all of this feedback and tried to come up with a compromise that we feel very positive presenting to you, um, which we think addresses a number of the different concerns. Let me walk you through it. Um, one, we would convert Larson Playgrounds, one tennis and one basketball court into eight pickleball courts. Two, the Stern Grove courts would continue to be dual lined 
in accordance with our policy about dual lining courts. During the Larson conversion, which is expected, was expected to take longer than Stern Grove, I might add that there are delays on Stern Grove uh, due to these storms, but it's still expected to happen this year. But during the Larson conversion, we would make Stern Grove a dedicated pickleball site with portable rolling nets. That means that only pickleball play would be there. We would not reserve it for tennis. We'd put up signs that say, you know, pickleball play at this site. But after conversion of Larson, the portable nets and dedicated hours would be removed from Stern Grove. So it would go back to a dual use park. And with having Larson now open with eight courts nearby, we would expect it to return to primarily tennis. Um, Upon the opening of the Stern Grove courts as pickleball, the Parkside courts, where we have dedicated pickleball hours, and which are somewhat controversial with the tennis community over there, would, um, remain, would be removed because now they have the Stern Grove courts to use. And responding to the tennis community's concern and about conversion of courts and our concerns, we would pause any further conversion of sports car courts to dedicated pickleball due to the impact on those communities. And in the meantime, our capital and planning unit is being tasked with identifying underutilized public space that can support future pickleball complexes. And we've already identified one spot we're pretty um, excited about, which is the Keysar parking lot. A portion of it could be used to create dedicated pickleball courts, and uh, it is a flat surface. Um, since, I think I should just leave the presentation, the recommendations up, because I think it's helpful. Um, since we made these recommendations last week, um, and they will come and speak to it, but uh, I can tell you we heard from the tennis community that they thought this was a reasonable compromise and in general were amenable to supporting the compromise. Uh, we heard back from the pickleball community that they, um, they, they, were, they were prepared to approve it, but they did not want us to put um, tennis lines on the pickleball on the Stern Grove courts until Larson opened because they wanted a site where they could play pickleball without tennis lines on it. And also, um, and, and we've looked into that possibility and we, you know, we understand their concerns. We looked into that possibility and the cost of adding tennis lines later. And we, we think that is a, a fair, proposal. Um, they also asked that we would keep the rolling nets up there, and, and we don't really want to support that at this point. We, we think that needs to be assessed at the time, because we're going to open the Larson courts, and once they open, that's a lot of capacity, and we want to, you know, we, we want to decide throughout our system where the rolling nets should be placed. Um, so we, we, you know, we, we tried in a very difficult situation to come up with a compromise that takes a little from everyone and gives a little to everyone. And, um, and with that, I'll be quiet. Thank you. All right. Um, I want to speak just for a couple minutes. One on the public comment, because we're going to have a number of commenters. I would suggest if you're able to coordinate your remarks that each person who... Uh, approaches the podium, try to say something different and unique each time. Because we, we understand these issues very, very well. 
and it really adds value to our consideration if we can hear different things. If I hear the same thing over and over again, I, I start to not pay any attention, just to be honest. You know, I heard it once, twice, that's enough. For the people that are on the phone, I want, you couldn't see the handout that was up on the screen, but I really want to highlight what Dana just talked about. This has been a very collaborative and iterative process with changes all the way up to the minute. So you just heard something that wasn't even up on the board, and that is the willingness to um, have dedicated pickleball lines on those Stern Grove courts until it's not exclusively pickleball anymore. Okay, I want to emphasize, Reckon Park is suggesting that we approve this hybrid approach at Stern Grove. It will be exclusively pickleball for a period of time until Larson opens, okay? So be sure that when you comment that you're understanding this iterative and you know, last minute change. All right, let's go. All right, so I'm going to start. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm going to start by calling the names I have in front of me uh, for folks who are in room 416. Again, if you haven't filled out a speaker card yet, they're right up here um, near the door at the front table. I will then go to folks who maybe didn't fill out a speaker card, and then I will move to um, people who are called in on our line. And as a reminder, you can dial star three to raise your hand to speak. I'm going to start with Lillian, then Bill, then Martha. Come on up and L get ready Lillian, to speak, come on everybody, up. please. Lillian Murphy. Remember, you're going to get a chime at 30 seconds, so don't stop talking. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Lillian Kim Murphy, member of the Pickleball Steering Committee. As many know and are quickly learning, pickleball is the new essential in recreation. It is still the case that we consider option one to be the best option and clearly our first choice. Stern Grove is a more pleasant location with a better wind profile. The parking is easier and the bathroom situation is perfectly adequate. This is the option that would deliver a much needed dedicated pickleball site in the quickest time frame. However, we also understand that you have concerns about the bathroom and the Tennis Coalition's attachment to Stern Grove. Therefore, we support your proposal as a compromise. A Stern Grove courts, courts to be lined, pickleball only in the beginning, is um, a request that we have, and you are accommodating. Thank you. And we request the following to be considered in the planning of the Larson project. Design features to mitigate 19th Avenue traffic noise, and two, design and materials to maximize the wind protection to Larson. Thank you to the Tennis Coalition for supporting RPD's recommendation. and sharing Stern Grove courts in the interim to accommodate pickleball growth in San Francisco. We are all making compromises and look forward to working with RPD and the Tennis Coalition for future thank pickleball you. sites. Thank you so much. And thank you for that. Bill? And then Martha? Thank you, commissioners, for listening to us. Good morning. Um, on November 4th, there was a vote of the community overwhelming vote for Storm Grove. That needs to be respected. My issue is the bathrooms. Little history. Prior to pickleball, tennis and kids played in the park. There was a bathroom up top. 10 to 15 years ago, that bathroom disappeared. People used the lower bathrooms since then. 
When pickleball players played at Sloat, we had 30 to 60 people there a day. They were able to use the bathrooms down below. Since the reconstruction, you can go and look. The bathrooms have been moved 30 to 40 yards closer, closer to the community. The downhill walk is made much better. The stairs are not there. The stairs that are there on the west side drop you right off into the, tennis, into the restrooms. Restrooms should not be an issue. Go to Rossi. In order to play pickleball at Rossi, you have to leave the court, cross the ball field, cross the street, go into the dog park to get into the bathrooms. If that can happen there, the new bathrooms that are established or the new trail established making it closer should not be an issue. Thank you. Next I'll have Martha and then Lillian and then Peg. Hi, I'm Martha Ehrenfeld. I'm part of the Tennis Coalition. I'm bi. I love both pickleball and tennis. <laughs> um, uh, we're supporting the Larson project. Um, one thing is that we would ask that to pause on all dual lining and to quest not to have dual lining back at Stern Girl when it turns back into tennis because it creates conflict. And uh, it, uh, particularly also in places where the pickleball players camp and play when there's no reservation systems on those courts and it's not really clear when the pickleball players have to move. So uh, we like to consider that, thank you. Thank you, Martha. Next. Lillian. Hello, commissioners. My name is Lillian Lynch. I'm with the Ten Tennis Coalition. And we appreciate the hard and patient work of Beverly Ng and Dana Ketchum. They listened and demonstrated patience and creativity as manifested by their proposed compromise. They brought us together around the table, and we expect to be around it a lot more as we develop compatible long-term solutions while any further conversions are on hold. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Good morning, commissioners. I'm Peg Stevenson. I'm the incoming chair of the Tennis Coalition, taking over from uh, Martha and Lois. <clears throat> and I want to, again, thank Rec Park staff for their hard work on this. We do formally support the hybrid approach, the compromise that's been outlined. Um, at the same time, we think it's critically important the long-term look at spaces around the city that might be able to be converted for pickleball courts. We want to change the narrative that the place to do this is by taking over tennis courts. I mean, those hours do come at the expense of tennis players, and every hour that's reservable is reserved. Very big and active community that needs more time and space as well. So again, I appreciate um, really what the staff has done and gone through, and I appreciate your work on this, and Tennis Coalition will submit a petition that we collected with signatures as well as a formal position paper. So thanks for your efforts. Thank you, Peg. Next. Lois and then Joycelyn. Lois, come on up. Only one Lois. Only one Lois. Hi, Lois. <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm Lois Salisbury, one of the board members of the Tennis Coalition. And we just want to acknowledge the pent-up demand for pickleball. Um, and, and think that uh, this is a fair solution, but we also can, can't underscore enough how important the pause is on future conversions. We think that we need a, more imagination, more creativity. Uh, there are flat spaces called parking lots and reservoirs. Not every tennis court is necessarily a candidate for a pickleball site. Um, it's also important to recognize that uh, while the pickleball community is very vocal, and we understand it, and we understand their passion, uh, the tennis community is five times as large. 
Um, and, and you see that manifested in all of the demand for tennis courts. Um, we stand ready to work with them, to offer them our guidance, if we can, um, on helping create a new pickleball center. We're very proud of the Goldman Tennis Center, and we'd like to him to have something equally as beautiful. Thank you. Joycelyn? Hi, my name is Joyce Tang, and I and many of my pickleball community friends choose Stern Grove over Larson. We don't feel that we should spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to redo Larson, but just use the money to fix up uh, Stern Grove. Also, we question why should we not get more pickleball courts? We only have six permanent free designated pickleball courts in all of San Francisco, and yet we have hundreds 140, 130 free and permanent designated tennis courts. Why such a discrepancy? We have lots of pickleball players, and we would like, please give us the pickleball courts. And pickleball is very important in my life because I am a senior, handicapped, I have Parkinson, and it helps my health. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in room 416 who'd like to comment? Oh, I didn't grab yours. Come on up. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Debbie, and I represent uh, Golden Gate Pickleball Club, and we are in support of your multi-purpose uh, lines. Uh, we are trying to work to bring in the schools and the youth programs and work with them and maybe eventually have uh, youth leagues that play with each other. And we want to bring in local tournaments and large tournaments. Right now we're hosting a large tournament of 300 players, but we have to host it in a Concord. And we would like to be able to bring that resource into um, San Francisco and play at the maybe both of the courts. So we're hoping to be able to achieve that. Uh, my concerns for Larson is possibly if the courts are wet and they drive slowly, the, 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 the amount of seniors that play in the morning slip when it's wet. And that's okay. a big concern of mine because I've seen a lot of thank people you, slip. Sorry, am I, am I done? Yeah. And, and wind and parking, thank you. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Come on up, Susie. Third time's a charm, hopefully. I'll um, so I just want to ditto what Lily Murphy said, um, pretty much in support. If, if Larson is our only option that you guys are choosing, then that's supportive. But with, a, with an additional pro, provost um, that, that um, Larson be raised completely before building, rebuilding. Um, because there are different levels, the basketball court's lower, um, it's in terrible shape, so it needs to be redone. So the next thing is that the, the community itself would like to have a better understanding of why it makes more sense to tear out a tennis and basketball court to build pickleball courts at the cost of up to 300000 when you could save by just tearing out the basketball court and adding one tennis court to Larson. Um, makes more sense to me for the city not to spend the money on rebuilding eight courts at Larson. Um, and also, we have a lighter ball. It's very windy. 
at Larson and pickleball is much lighter. But anyway, I, uh, is that it or is that 30 seconds more? Thank you, Susie. Yeah. That's it. Appreciate <laughs> Is there anyone else in room 416 who hasn't had a chance? Please come up come now. Come on up, please. Um, and if you would like to comment and you didn't fill out a card, go ahead and just kind of like stand up over here near the TV so yep. that I can see how many more folks we have. Potential speakers, please come and line up. And then when you come to the podium, you can tell us your name if you so desire. Come on up. Come on up. Thanks. Thank you. Hi. I'm Hi. Tanya Slesnake. I'm a co-chair of the Golden Gate Pickleball Club. And we are hosting a pickleball tournament that we had to close registration a month early because of the amount of people who are interested and excited about pickleball. We wanted to hold it here in San Francisco, but there just wasn't enough courts. If we have Larson, um, would it be possible to hold a tournament using the Stern Grove courts as well, or having Stern Grove and converting some of the Larson. But we need more courts. You know, that's just the basis. If you want to make money through pickleball, which the city can do, then, you know, more courts will help. Thank you, Tanya. Any other commenters? Okay, seeing no other commenters in room 416, I'll double check again when we get to the end. We'll move over to our um, call in line. It looks like we currently have four people with their hands raised. You can dial star three to raise your hand. If you can please unmute the first caller and listen for the tone playing in room 416. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hello, my name is Seth Sokolow. I am the Executive Director of San Franciscans for Sports and Recreation. I would like to remind this commission that our organization donated $864,000 to the City of San Francisco for resurfacing tennis courts. Two of those tennis courts were the Stern Grove tennis courts, where $108,000 was used to resurface them. We are in support of the compromise that has been proposed. However, I do have some concerns around accountability, that when Larson reopens, there not be additional conversations that the Stern Grove courts should not go back to being tennis courts as is being proposed here. I also think it is really important to use this as an example. One of the reasons our organization donated so much money to the city to resurface tennis courts was due to deferred maintenance on tennis courts. There is a great demand for tennis and pickleball in this city. And this high traffic on courts wears them out over time. So if these courts at Stern Grove are going to reopen as dedicated pickleball courts, it needs to be studied Thank how you. quickly the surface is worn. Next speaker. Hello, commissioners. This is Catherine Kamiji McDonald. And I do want to first thank Dana and Beverly for all their work. I think it has been a very emotional issue on both sides. And as a parent whose children play tennis, as a captain of a tennis team, I can definitely say that it is impossible to get courts whenever you want them unless you are the first person when the spot opens up. We have a, a, an actual match tonight at 7 o'clock, and I don't have a warm-up court because I waited 
Well, I didn't wait, I just couldn't get on until 20 minutes after. <laughs> so we need these courts. And also what the speaker before just said, I wanna reiterate the work that the Tennis Coalition that we all did with raffles, with constant donations, we have put in the money for tennis in San Francisco. Goldman has been a public effort and we appreciate, I play pickleball, so it's not an us against them. We appreciate the need for more pickleball courts, but they need to come from the pickleball community as well. Not us against them. Thank you. Don't take ours. Thank you. Next speaker. Caller. Yep, we can hear you. Okay, hi, this is Peter Zapponi. I am the president and founder of the Golden San Francisco Horseshoe Pitching Club. So I'm just speaking about the courts that were removed next to Stern Grove. I'm also an advocate and advisor for the Golden Gate Pickleball Club. Um, the courts were at Stern Grove were being used, not as much as pickleball at the time. There was a horseshoe club at Lincoln, Lincoln High School that was disbanded when the courts were removed so there are people that play on this side of the city. Um, since the courts are gone, there is a opportunity for much higher activation and use of that site by pickleball and an expansion at Stern Grove location. That's where I started playing pickleball after next to horseshoes. Um, and there's an opportunity here for the city to get a much bigger activation out of that space. Only thing I would maybe recommend is that a couple of courts maybe be located somewhere else on that side of the city because it only leaves Golden Gate Park for all of San Francisco. Um, but if there's future expansion for tennis or if there is expansion after the tennis Larson conversion, that the horseshoe courts could be converted to pickleball. Thank you. I don't see any other hands raised on our um, call-in line. Just wanna circle back. Is there anyone else in room 416 who didn't get a chance to comment? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Okay, so before I turn to the commissioners, I would like to ask Dana to comment on a good point that was made uh, by one of the speakers. Which one was that? The, one of the, uh, Seth, uh, raised a concern around accountability that we wouldn't, you know, continue to renegotiate the status of the courts at Stern Grove. Well, I think we're looking to make a decision today so that it isn't a renegotiation. That's why we... Oh, time. Sorry, Dana, your time's time. up. <laughs> <laughs> I've been needing that for a lot of years. Um, I think that that's why we made it part of the compromise, right? So that mm -hmm. it is an overall plan of where we're going. Uh, and I understand. Um, and then um, with respect to the condition of Larson, do you know yet if it's been um, programmed for any more? Well, innovations I, I was, in 2023 I was, or 2024. I was at Larson yesterday walking the site. So it is on two levels. Um, it, we would not be making it one total level because those two levels are both ADA accessible. So okay. there's actually a ramp that goes to the restroom from both the upper and lower levels. Um, the courts would be refinished um, you know, as part of them to make them nice and smooth and the pickleball um, nets 
installed. Um, you know, it, depending on timing and, and funding, the you know the the fencing could be replaced and, and adding window screens. Wind screens but yeah. that's something that the department will be look, working on once we move forward with this. Um, and our goal is to get it done really as quickly as we possibly can. Um, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was out there walking the side. And I would yesterday. like to correct the record that we actually have eleven dedicated pickleball sites right now. Okay. Correct. Yeah. That's something it, you that know, you when said. I'm not looking it at the list. It was your notes, and I took them, and that's what you said. So yes. not not the six that was said earlier. Uh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Please, Sorry, I can't take public please, comment that way. Yeah, so, please thank don't you. don't call out from thank the you, audience. Dana. Um, so, uh, first up, I have Commissioner Mazzola. Thank you. Um, quick question for you, Dana, then a comment. Um, how many courts are on Slope Boulevard again? Are on what? On the Grove side of Slope. The Grove side of Slope. Six? Oh, two Grove. tennis courts. Ten two tennis courts. Two tennis courts. And then if they're dual-lined, it's six pickleball courts. If they're not dual-lined, it can be eight pickleball courts. Got it. But right now, there are no tennis courts. It's a staging area for the PUC work. I understand. All right. Thank you. Um, All right. Oh, I'm sorry. So, no, I just want to say that I support the hybrid theory here. Um, I think the staff has done a great job listening to both sides of this um, important issue. And, uh, you know, we've come a long way in, in uh, seeing the importance of, of the pickleball community. I think, uh, you know, obviously just as important as the tennis community and everybody else. So we want to try and make this work. And I think that this hybrid uh, thing does that. Um, I just, the, the last item on the um, chart that Dana showed earlier with with the uh, that outlines the the deal here um, talks about um, kind of pausing for further sports court stuff and I just want to make sure and ask staff how you know is is there is that something that we should have a sunset on a time frame on or is it like I mean if, if nothing gets done I would hate for other sports courts to suffer and not get built because something hasn't been done on the other side. So I just, are you comfortable with the way it's written or should we have some kind of a sunset I, on that? I am comfortable with the way it's written um, because what we're talking about is conversions. So we're not talking about building. So we can still build at, for instance, the Keysar lot. Um, but what we're doing is trying to take the edge out of the conversations um, for a period of time while we look for creative and other solutions that doesn't take the pressure between these two communities and put everyone's effort into let's find other solutions because they were kind of easy to kind of grab at the tennis courts, right? Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, you, you could obviously... Um, ask us to report back, you know, within like 18 months on what we've achieved um, and then relook at it at that time. That would be, you know, I, I don't have an objection to that. But we, we really want to focus on moving forward um, and avoid these dis the yeah. constant no, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I just didn't want there to be any, any unintended consequences of that. So that settles me. All right, Commissioner Louie. Um, 
This is a this is a topic we knew about, and we really want to appreciate and thank the pickleball community, the working group, and the tennis people, the tennis coalition. Um, what I see here is we all want to play like in the same playground, but the playground is only so big, and it takes time to expand the playground. And that's I want to. Uh, really thank the department for, for just listening. And I have seen through this past year the completed projects in parks, Tai Chi courts. Um, I've witnessed them. I've only been a commissioner for a year. But I have seen so many multiple wonderfully completed park projects. Um, and for sports, you know, I. The Lewis Sutter, it, it's a, they've added, you know, they'll add a fence when they need it. It just, nobody has all the answers today. So they are, we are listening to you. It's not for us to decide. We're the voice of you. Being an oversight for this topic is one of the most difficult things because you have to factor in balance, other sports, um, golf, you know, anything, any sports. But, you know, the the wonderful thing is, people that live in San Francisco get to enjoy all this recreation. And so that's what, you know, it's wonderful. Just like overnight, the department reacted and listened to the, the letter that was sent in from, from the pickleball community saying, you know, okay, we thank you, but we don't like the multiple lines while we wait for Larson. What did they do overnight? They, they updated the recommendation saying, We'll have just pickleball lines until Larson is completed, come back, spend some more money, and add the other lines. You know, it's, where, where are we? It's like sitting in the living room with my two daughters and you guys got to, you know, come to some kind of compromise. It's the same thing. Um, so I want to commend the department. I want to commend Dana and Bev and, and you too, Phil. You know, I mean, you know, when it, my mother always told me when it gets hot in the kitchen, stay out of it, but not in today's case, okay? Um, so I am going to, um, unless other commissioners have something to say, I want to just really thank all the hard work. We all love tennis and pickleball. We all love you. We thank you for coming today. And I would like to make a motion to approve the department's hybrid recommendation listed in the staff report. We will let... Um, We're uh, going to put that pass. motion on pause before we take a second because Commissioner Griffin would like to speak. Thank you. Um, I, too, want to com commend Beverly and Dana on the peace accord that you've come to. Um, but I do have a question. It's not clear to me that... Or what happens while... Stern Grove will be complete pickleball while Larson is being worked on, correct? Where does tennis go during that time? Well, I agree. It's an impact on, on tennis, but the, the plan is that, you know, we would take Stern Grove out um, at the, you know, around, I mean, we would take, 
um, Larson out at the, about the time the Stern Grove courts would reopen, and then tennis pickleball's off of Parkside. So kind of we're, we're dancing that different game. But if we could get Larson going faster, and, and believe me, I had lots of conversations about that yesterday because, mm -hmm. you know, there's reasons to do it. There will be a period of time where there will be this little, this added impact of having another tennis court out. But long term, hopefully in a year, we can sit here and say, hey, we made this decision and look what we've got. So, um, yes, you know, when we renovate spaces, they close and they have impacts. Rossi Pool is closed. You know, all these things, that's part of renovation. Uh, but there are still the Parkside courts nearby. They're the Sunset Rec courts. They're different courts in the system. Okay, great. Well, and I also want to commend the pickleball community and the tennis community for being able to work out this compromise. And I think it, in the long run, it'll be good. I'm willing to support this. Thank you, Commissioner Griffin. Phil, would you like to speak? Sure. Um, mostly just to um, thank everyone for working through this, uh, starting with uh, Dana and Beverly for uh, whom? Do you guys play? You play a little bit, Dana. I played once, and I wanted to play with you. Oh, Dana, I'll play with you. Um, there are a lot of people that enjoy both sports. Um, and, you know, this is why parks are special. This is a classic uh, you know, land use issue. Um, but there was one comment that was made by, I think it was Peg Stevenson, um, my former colleague before she went on to blissful retirement that really struck, uh, struck, stuck with me. And I, and I think it's worth reiterating. Uh, and that comment, uh, is that the narrative needs to change about this conversation. This should not be a pickleball versus anything. This should be about and, not or. It should be about figuring out spaces, yes, in our system, but citywide. A public parks department does not own pickleball. Pickleball is a, like, like any sport. We have, we have athletic facilities that are run by nonprofits. We have athletics facilities that are run privately in this town. And we have, yes, we have athletic facilities uh, that, that we host. So I think as we all work together on trying to expand access and opportunity to this delightful, fun, growing sport, uh, I think we need to change the narrative. <laughs> but, well, let me, let me tell you again. So when I say that I want to change the narrative. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Um, okay, so before I ask for a second, I just, also want to reiterate the great work of the department, Dana and Beverly. Um, I absolutely appreciate your advocacy. Um, you know, San Francisco has its own special brand of advocacy. But I believe it's remarkable the speed and the timeline that you guys have advocated and gotten. You know, I know other sports like girls and women's baseball and Frisbee Golf, who have also been advocating and haven't gotten nearly as the goodies that you guys are about to get. So good job, okay? We have to split the baby every single time. It's a messy business. I'll take a second on um, Commissioner Louie's motion. Second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor of the hybrid approach outlined, uh, it was up on the board, right? 
No, we don't need it. We can show it. Okay. This is what we're voting on. All those in favor, state aye. 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 It's unanimous. So moved. Thank you, everyone. So, Next on the agenda is? We're moving on to the strategic plan, item nine. For those of you who are going to be leaving the room, please do so as quietly as possible and take your conversations outside. And thank you for coming today. Taylor, get started whenever you You know what, uh, Ashley, we're going to take a brief bio break. Okay. All of us. Three minutes. Let's go. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
uh, Taylor, you can speak slowly. <laughs> But let's right. get going. Good morning. Oh, uh, one thing I did want to add. Sorry, Taylor. Um, we're going to go ahead and muscle through. I don't know how much longer this is going to take, but commissioners, if you want to eat or drink, I'm not going to notice. And we're just going to keep on rolling. All right. Go ahead, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Taylor Emerson from the Capital and Planning Division. I don't Division. think her mic is working. Ah, I can hear it. Um, just mic be a little bit closer. Okay. Yeah. You can try the bigger one. It'll it'll swivel towards you. <laughs> no, it's okay. I've been doing it all month. It's all right. Bring it closer to your mouth. It's hard to stand. With, oh, I'm with sorry. Okay. You're looking at that. So, okay. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's a bit of a dance up here. Good morning, Taylor Emerson from the Capital and Planning Division. Here today to provide a status report on the last strategic plan and a look ahead at the next five years. Um, as the charter tells us, the five-year strategic plan establishes or reaffirms the mission, vision, goals, and objectives for the department, and integrates the equity analysis and metrics. Uh, indeed, the mission, vision, goals, and objectives are not changed from the last, so we are here to reaffirm, and I'm gonna highlight some of the new initiatives uh, that will be focused on over the next five-year period. Um, quick look at where we are in time. Uh, our very first strategic plan was brought to you in the spring of 2016. Uh, we had been working on that for about a year and a half prior. And then soon thereafter, voters approved Proposition B, which set forth a requirement to do uh, a strategic plan. So FY17 was sort of the first year under that five-year requirement. Then there were updates uh, in FY18, 19, 20, and 21, which then concluded the five-year uh, period. And I'm gonna be giving a status report on the, the last uh, strategic plan today, uh, as well as proposing the new strategic plan for the period FY23 through 27. And then I will be back before you uh, next uh, in FY25 to do a two-year progress report and the new sub-plans. The, the, the strategic plan is a five-year look ahead and there's a requirement for these two sub-plans on the operational side and the capital side. Uh, and then the next strategic plan will be uh, before you in FY28. So today we are talking about the last eight years of focused, aligned organizational work and looking ahead at the next five. Uh, the progress report starts with uh, this little chart uh, that, that places uh, the, all the initiatives in terms of whether they are complete, in progress, or pending. Uh, I draw your attention to the first uh, attachment in your staff report, which details this information. Um, we complete, of 81 total initiatives, 38 were complete, 23 are in progress for a total of 75% undertaken or accomplished, as the charter states. Um, some highlights on some of these achievements. The pagoda in the Japanese tea garden is definitely now an inspiring place for contemplation and beauty. Uh, the department did hire a new girls sports coordinator and uh, there have been new and very popular programs with strong enrollment uh, inspiring play. 
to inspire investment, um, as we saw, we've seen today, uh, this new form of participation being online and uh, on the phone has expanded community engagement. Uh, and I uh, know that the department, to the extent we are able, will continue uh, to offer these platforms to the public for feedback. Uh, we are in the process of restoring Middle Lake uh, to inspire stewardship by transforming some of the landscaped areas into habitat for biodiversity as well as preserving the lake for the future uh, and adding increased access, lighting, and um, um, vegetation to the area. <coughs> Our team uh, developed and installed a new app and trained more than 200 people to do park evaluations. Uh, it's on the phone, super easy. Seems kind of insider baseball, but actually the app and the park evaluations provide the department with really important information about the status of parks out in the field and allows us to make informed decisions about resource allocation. All right, looking now at a subset of those initiatives, uh, the Charter asked that we report distinctly, separately, on equity-related initiatives, uh, of which there were 23 in the last strategic plan. Uh, nine were completed, seven are in progress, uh, for a total of 70% undertaken or accomplished. Quick highlights, um, India Basin, as you know, uh, the remediation is complete and construction is now underway and the equitable development plan is in implementation stage. The Tennis Learning Center uh, was one of the great inspiring play uh, achievements with academic support and learning to play tennis. JFK inspired investment and in created engagement, broadened engagement with new visitors to Golden Gate Park. To date, almost 10 million visits have been made to what is now permanently car-free space. The Eco Center at Heron's Head, uh, and remember this report is for the period FY22, uh, when COVID was still more present than it is now, but Heron's Head managed to provide more than 3,000 hours of nature programming, uh, inspiring a new generation of park stewards. And uh, that, this is a tally, a numerical tally of all of the initiatives, of all the strategic plans to date. Um, 130 have been completed. I was a bit of a skeptic at the beginning of the strategic plan process, but I am here to tell you this has aligned and uh, organized our department and created a, a cohesion that is really impressive. Um, I direct you to an attachment in your staff report that details these 130 accomplishments. Looking ahead, our roadmap for the future, uh, next five years. Um, again, all of the initiatives are detailed in your attachment. I'm going to just highlight one under each strategic plan goal. Uh, Inspire Place, so exciting. As of July 1st, 2023, all of the Mission Bay parks, which total about 40 acres, uh, will be transferred to the Recreation and Parks Department. Um, this is a huge new expansion of our portfolio, and uh, these new parks join other new sites uh, that will be opened over the next five years, including 900 Ennis, uh, 
additional um, Heron's Head, we have additional responsibilities coming there. There's going to be a new rec center at Hertz Playground, new Trans Bay Bach 3 Park, um, and the recently added Francisco. So that's a lot of new property and new inspiring places to play. What's the date on that? July 1, 2023. They will transfer from the formerly known as Redevelopment, now OCII, to Rec Park. Um, under Inspire Play, I chose to highlight uh, this fabulous picture, which is actually from the Bayview uh, Swim and Splash program, which is part of the equitable development um, plan's goal to deliver project benefits to current residents of the Indian Basin and Bayview neighborhood. Um, learning to swim is a life-saving skill, and teaching water safety to youth near India Basin Parks uh, meets these goals. Uh, youth opportunities is just one of the six pillars of the EDP, including arts, culture, and identity, workforce and business development, connectivity, healthy communities and ecology, and housing security. A uh, little bit of a sidebar right here. You may remember from my equity analysis uh, presentation a few months ago that we this year uh, conducted a neighborhood level equity analysis uh, that really looked at access to amenities and services the departments provides and this revealed or allowed us to see um, gaps and surpluses and informed and guided several new initiatives in the strategic plan this is just a list of a few of them I chose one from each strategy uh, you know, identify their next acquisition opportunity in a high needs area, right? Access to park, open space is probably the most primary element of an equity analysis. And there are some neighborhoods in the city that are have disproportionately low access, including the Tenderloin and Soma. And we are looking there for an the next opportunity to acquire and develop a park. Um, some of these have already been mentioned here. Uh, you know, one of the things we realized with 2.2a is that in the inequity analysis, there are some things that we are doing, but we're not capturing data about them. So part of our work ahead is not just to deliver more, but to do a better job of documenting what we are doing. Um, we're also going to support uh, community opportunity fund proposals and equity zone neighborhoods. Uh, as our general manager mentioned, establish a new Greeninger cohort in the Tenderloin, um, and uh, uh, as part of the equitable development plan, uh, offer some job fairs in equity zone parks. All right, back to looking at the highlights under Inspire Investment. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about the Community Opportunity Fund, which is a hugely popular uh, component of the 2008 and 2012 bonds. And in the 2020 bond, we allocated another $6 million for neighborhoods, community groups, and park partners to nominate capital projects uh, for funding. And these, these, these projects promote stewardship, enhance park identity and experiences, and leverage resources from the community. Uh, for the first two bonds, we this, there was $17 million of public money and $13.7 million in private money uh, for more than $30 million total, which generated 35 projects across the city. Um, I look forward to seeing this is a picture of the Community Opportunity Project at Bayview Playground, which was a transformational project at that site. 
Under Inspire Stewardship, uh, I know you've heard about the Recycled Water Project to bring a new water source to uh, Golden Gate Park for irrigation. And next step, that alone will save 387 million gallons of water annually. Um, and next up in this, in this strategic plan is to bring recycled water to Lincoln Park, look at all that grass, uh, the zoo and Great Highway, totaling 420 million gallons of potable water saved annually. This is, this is the essence of inspiring stewardship and conserving our natural resources and I'm a project that I'm very proud our department is doing. Under Inspire Team, it looks like another swimming picture, but actually this is a picture of uh, our new effort to expand our workforce development program to include uh, lifeguard training. Recreation Parks already has the city's biggest and most successful workforce development program. Uh, the, the heart of it is our Gardener Apprentice, which to date has placed over 100 graduates into gardener positions, of which 65% are BIPOC people. We also conduct an annual summer jobs program for hundreds of high school kids called Recreation and have intern programs for college level work experience. This extension to add lifeguard training will help the department fill much needed lifeguard positions, which in turn supports open pool hours and increased park access. So those are some highlights of the strategic plan. Concludes my presentation. That presentation was so short considering it reflects so I know. much work. This is true. I have a Thank question. You. Yes. Um, I know that the restoration of the Japanese tea garden pagoda is complete, as it says in the materials. But I also know that there's some additional stone work happening on the plinth. Is that the right word or the base? The base, yes. So how does that kind of work in all of this? Uh, I mean, I, we don't cover every every single project in our strategic plan. I mean, that work is going to proceed. I think that there is a, uh, some language, and I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know the specific reference, but our partnership with the San Francisco uh, Botanical Garden mm -hmm. uh, on the Gardens of Golden Gate Park now includes the Tea Garden and the Conservatory, and I know that that, that partnership is referenced in our strategic plan, and so there's a lot more work. I mean, the, the plinth... Technically, you know, like once we start to operationalize things, it doesn't necessarily need to be in a future strategic plan. There is more work uh, and more thinking that needs to be done about those gardens. Um, there's some fencing issues, some ADA access issues, uh, and then a potential big project someday in the not too distant future at the conservatory. So um, uh, I think I believe that there is reference to our work at the gar with the gardens at Golden Gate Park, and if there's not, maybe that's something that we should consider. Uh, a last second adjustment so with your with your blessing if you give me the the discretion to take a look at the language and make sure that that our <laughs> our uh, that partnership's really important and is off to a, a great start and all three gardens are now consolidated and a lot of exciting uh, program and opportunity for capital improvements you all know about the nursery so good stuff there Thank you, and I think you also wanted to comment further. Well, just to uh, uh, thank Taylor, thank Yael, thank a lot. You know, the strategic plan is it's a little bit of a dry, you know, particularly after pickleball, sort of a dry, <laughs> ho-hum uh, sort of presentation, but it really is important, and I would just say to you all for context, it is 
you know, one of the sort of processes that I think I've, uh, you know, if I, you know, reflect at any particular point in time that I'll say that I'm, you know, most proud about. Um, you know, we, we took this work seriously uh, and long before some of it was required under Prop B uh, as, a, as an organization, you know, we had, uh, you know, some, some hard conversations to set, you know, a mission, vision, and value statement and, and to identify what our priorities were. And, um, you know, with, with Taylor's great help, but with the support of every member of my leadership team and, and well beyond that, uh, and under, you know, Yael's guidance as planning director, you know, we, we have a robust strategic planning process. And so we, we plan our work and we work our plan and we are able to hold ourselves accountable to our, our commitments regarding equity and access. Um, and so I think this is something that we should all be quite proud about. We definitely are best practice. I still get calls regularly from other park jurisdictions around the country asking for me to help them do what we've done. Yeah, I also want to express that commendation. I affirm and confirm. And um, I'm really excited because there's going to be an all-hands meeting on February 1st, right? I'm really excited to hear about that as well. So thank you thank for you. excellent work. And we really benefit from your efforts. Thank you so much. And in our endeavor to serve our community. So thank you. You, you, make, everybody, you make everybody. Do you need to approve the proposed plan? Yeah. Before we do that, we do need to go to public comment just oh. in the event that somebody yeah, would like to make a comment. people said a bunch comment. of nice things, and I didn't hear any of it because it was all crosstalk. But I'll assume it was all awesome. Public Wait. comment? Is there anyone in room 416 who'd like to comment? Seeing none, we do have one hand raised on the line. And you can unmute the caller. Caller, are you there? Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, this is Richard Rothman, and uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, Zoological Society. You know, uh, you'll have to wait. My... I don't. Aren't we taking public comment on what was just addressed? The strategic plan? Well, this is part of the strategic plan. Okay, go ahead, sir. Thank you. Well, I think in part of the strategic plan should include uh, reexamining the, uh, the agreement between the Zoological Society and Rec and Park. Uh, I have a copy and it's over 30 years old, and there's some sections in there that are not uh, being followed. And I think uh, Rec and Park uh, needs to sign, assign a staff person to review this contract, and this contract should be treated just like we treat the vendors for uh, uh, Beach LA and uh, Coy Tower, and uh, uh, Jane and myself have found this very frustrating in trying to get them to cooperate. We've never asked them for any money. We just want them to be part of the strategic plan. Okay, thank and, you, Richard. Time, time is up and duly noted. Thank you. Seeing no other callers on the line, public comment is closed. Commissioners? All right, I would like a motion and a second to approve the strategic plan for FYI 2327. 
Second. And a second. All those in favor, state aye. 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 Any opposition? Motion carries. Thank you, Taylor. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for the report. You're off and running for five years again. <laughs> <laughs> and don't go anywhere, Taylor, because we're on item 10, operational plan. All right, let's sure. go. All right. Um, so the operational plan is a is is when it's produced, it's about a midpoint of the strategic plan, about two and a half years ahead. And so I'm here today to report on the last operational plan and to give you a look ahead at the proposed operational plan for the period FY24 and 25. Uh, there's a charter requirement, each annual or biannual budgetary cycle, which for us is every two years. Uh, to uh, make a statement of which uh, initiatives the department plans to undertake or accomplish during this period. I also need to give a progress report. So much like the other one, the strategic plan, this is a subset of the strategic plan, the things that we said we were going to do within the next two years, two and a half years ago. All right, um, uh, there were 44 initiatives in the operational, the last operational plan. Uh, of which 18 are complete and 15 are in progress. Um, not going to detail highlights, since we just did that. Uh, in the equity-related initiatives, <clears throat> there were 12 in the last operational plan, of which seven are complete, one is in progress. These are detailed in the attachments to your um, strategic, to your staff report. Um, looking ahead at the next operational plan, this is a cover from the last strategic plan because, of course, with your approval, we will be publishing uh, soon and put a copy online. And actually, we're going to do some printed copies this year as well since it's going to last us for five years. Um, of the 84 new initiatives in the proposed strategic plan, the department plans to undertake or accomplish 33 of them in the next operational plan. Quick highlights, Inspire Place. Um, in our equity analysis, one of the things that w we came to realize was that 60% of mini parks are located in equity zones. Many mini parks are, in fact, the, the consequence of, of redevelopment actions where extra parcels here and there were taken and uh, christened as parks. Um, and so, um, you know, to have a, a heavy, heavy surplus of these in our, in areas that serve our most disadvantaged residents, being these, you know, these small parks, typically under half an acre, are a big part of, of the park experience there. These photos are from a refresh of Palou Phelps, um, which rebuilt the retaining wall to keep the basketball court clear, performed uh, repairs and upgrades to the picnic area, rebuilt the front perimeter, and added a community kiosk. These types of renovations are designed and implemented by our yard, so they're not capital projects. It's the yard, and we're using our own skilled trade staff uh, to do these relatively small site improvements that make a huge difference in the quality of park experience for many equity zone residents. And we're going to be, the strategic plan says we will do three over the next five years. To inspire play, uh, I know you're going to hear more about uh, Lake Merced uh, uh, West today. Um, this property, you know, is in process and will serve park users of all ages, fitness levels, and experience at this unique and waterfront natural setting. Um, over the next two years, it will be complete. All right, Inspire Investment. Uh, 
you know, one of the uh, initiatives in here sounds so easy. Work with park partners to meet target fundraising goals for India Basin Parks. As a reminder, India Basin, the project budget right now is 200 million, of which 75 million is private philanthropy. So this is a big initiative that will involve lots of work over the coming two years. Inspire and stewardship. Um, <clears throat> We are going to formalize and deepen our children nature connection by adding nature programming elements to all the after school programs. Um, like many initiatives, this one involves staff in the recreation division, staff in public affairs where uh, uh, children nature is located, um, and our natural area staff. So very multi-divisional work uh, to, to add this important benefit to our uh, and opportunities for nature connection in key realms of childhood, early education, and schools. Last, inspire our team. Um, it's a little uh, snip from the headlines that you may have seen. Average time it takes to fill an existing position in San Francisco is 255 days. Um, so if a gardener is to quit, that's how long the average time it takes to refill an existing position. And this initiative is to conduct a lean management analysis. Lean is an approach to managing an organization that supports the idea of continuous improvement and looks at the system to see what small changes can be made to improve efficiency. And so we're going to lean the hiring process most of which is set by DHR, but looking at what can Rec Park do to minimize this, uh, this situation. Uh, ben Rosenfield, our controller, said uh, that uh, there is no bigger challenge that the city faces than the effective delivery of city services, and that's what backfilling positions requires. So um, I look forward to seeing, if you were to ask Rec Park staff what is their favorite initiative in the strategic plan, it might just be this one because this is important to fill positions. All right, that concludes my presentation on the operational plan. Is there anyone in room 416 you would like to provide comment on item number 10? Seeing none, you can raise your hand by dialing star three. We don't have any callers with their hand raised, so public comment is closed. All right. uh, Commissioner Griffin would like to speak. Go ahead. Yes, I, uh, on the hiring process, I, I really think that should be a top priority. <laughs> the fact that it takes that long. I went to work for the city the second time uh, back in 2000, and... Um, I didn't think I was getting the job. Right. Well, it, it, and it had been promised to me. Uh, and I found out like three quarters of a year later that I got the job, and it was just ridiculous. Um, so good luck on that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it would actually help if we had somebody at Rec and Park that knew how DHR worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe someone that used to have that. <laughs> Inside track. This, commissioners, uh, this is this is why we do so well at this particular aspect of our job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're two hundred fifty-three days. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can I hear a motion and a second? So moved. 
approve the strategic Second. plan for fiscal year 23-27. All those in favor, state aye. 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 No opposition. Thank you. Motion carries. Thank you, Taylor. All right, next up, next victim. We are going to call <laughs> item 11 and item 13 together. Okay. So item 11 is capital expenditure plan, FY 24-25, and item 13 is 2020 health and recovery bond second issuance. Thank you. We're going to take a minute to uh, get our visuals lined up. Good afternoon, sorry. Good afternoon, commissioners, general manager, and commission liaison. Indeed. I am Stacy Bradley, the director of our capital and planning division. Um, I have two items before you today. First, I'm going to go over the capital expenditure plan. Now, a lot of these, um, my highlights have already been shared by Phil and Taylor, so I will go kind of quickly through this. And then I'm going to spend a little bit more time focusing on the second bond sale of the 2020 health and recovery bond. Both things are showing what we're doing at Capitol over the next couple of years. Um, this is why we're doing the capital expenditure plan, which Taylor explained um, when she talked about the operations plan, but it is a charter mandate. The um, capital plan is a little different from the operations plan in that it, ho it has many attachments to um, create the plan itself to show what we're working on, um, our pipeline over the next two years, as well as our acquisitions, and then our strategic plan initiatives and what we've accomplished. This is an overview of our division. Um, we have over 59 active projects, or 59 actually, active projects right now. You can see the breakdown here um, between planning, design, bid award, construction, and closeout. We are very busy. Um, our projects are, a pro are over $600 million when you add them all up together. Um, I wanted to share how big our team is. We've been trying really hard to staff appropriately and to fill our vacancies. So at the moment, we are about 31, over, we're at 31 people. We have 15 project managers um, with three supervising project managers and one direct, uh, deputy director of capital, which is a new position. And then our planning unit has nine planners and one uh, deputy director of planning. And then we have program management, which supports our equitable development plan, as well as two people, one new, on our community engagement team. And uh, we have an admin staff to help us all run the, um, our little satellite office in 49 South Van Ness and make sure we are all doing our work efficiently. Um, here we have a number of our equity-related initiatives that we've achieved over the years, um, over the past year, sorry. The, um, we have completed phase one remediation of India Basin um, and published the equitable development plan in India Basin. Uh, very exciting. And we are now in construction um, for that project, for the uh, park development. And then we are implementing the, um, our new bond, which I will get into more detail um, as we move on. And then we've also completed the feasibility analysis, and we are in the process of developing the um, concept plan for 11th and Atoma. You will see that later on. Our, we've now shifted that um, initiative to finalize the concept plan and to complete CEQA for 11th and Atoma. 
Then we have, um, as I noted earlier, we're going to work towards completing India Basin and we're continuing to identify our next acquisition opportunity, which we are focusing in our high needs area, likely um, the mid-market tenderloin, lower um, Polk area. And then we're also looking for an additional location, an additional senior center in the southeast to serve our residents there. Um, and the finalizing the MOU and completing planning work for Gene Friend Annex, this is at the 88 Bluxum. Um, Development, it's currently on hold because the developer, the development project is on hold. But once that picks back up, it will no longer be on hold and we can move forward with our new pool in that area. Um, a few other initiatives that I want to highlight. Golden Gate Park, we have completed the physical needs assessment at the Senior Center. We are in construction um, for Middle Lake Restoration. It's a project that I'm very excited about and will be before you, um, I believe, next month, requesting a little bit more um, contractual um, funding to go towards the cascade, the rock cascade that will connect the Angler's Lodge um, casting pools with, the, with Middle Lake. I'm very excited that we're able to do that. <laughs> uh, and then we are also doing, um, we've completed some ADA improvements at Golden Gate Park, like the band shell, um, the, the parking lot behind the band shell, but we're also working on additional ADA improvements along JFK and along the Stanion Street edge behind the, by the lodge. And then um, other things that we're doing, we have completed all of our park projects from our named park projects from 2012. Um, it was actually a little later than November 2020. The, you know, COVID hit us hard. Anyways, um, and uh, the others, I believe we've mentioned the Francisco Reservoir, Marina East Harbor. We are in contract with um, planning and remediation for design and for our planning contractors. We have also scoped San Francisco's first carbon zero facility. This will be in Portsmouth Square, the clubhouse there. And we are finishing um, Lake Merced West Recreation um, EIR today. Next is um, our additional initiatives in progress. Now, some of these have merged in the new strategic plan that uh, Taylor presented, but we are still working to better coordinate and integrate the public lands in Twin Peaks. We are working on the Great Highway Extension. Um, as you know, it, the pilot was approved at the um, board last year. We are working on codifying and streamlining our open space review process and increasing open space in under freeway highways, freeway parcels with Caltrans. Um, and one thing that is maybe boring, but um, we are working really hard to do our capital project design standards with operations to um, update them and make sure we are consistent across our projects. Here's our geo bond progress. Uh, 2008 is closed. 2012, as I noted, Rossi was the last named project to be completed last year, so all named projects are complete. We do have some citywide projects remaining. Um, we're working on the McLaren Trails project that was before you last month, um, and there are still um, some, some of the Golden Gate Park projects are currently in progress. Then we have our 2020 health and recovery bond. We are actively moving on all of these and I will give you more on that in just a moment. Um, and here are some accomplishments, some nice pictures. Um, you can see Francisco Park, the one of the, the Francisco Park, uh, Rossi, the remediation at India Basin, uh, South Sunset Fields, we redid the 
the field there, McLaren Courts, the new Tai Chi Court, and then in construction or going to be in construction um, is Portsmouth Square, Hearst Rec Center, and, Port and um, Buchanan Street Mall. Next, we have um, our, some highlights within the equity zones. We're working on Japantown Peace Plaza, Buchanan Street Mall, McLaren Park. We are kicking off the 2020 visioning process. Hearst Playground, um, that will be before you later this year for contract award. India Basin, Gene Fry, well, the other, um, sorry. <laughs> Next, we have our um, Prop B, general, the 2016 Prop B general fund set aside. Taylor covered this a little bit in um, the operations plan, but I just want to highlight a few more things with repainting and resurfacing basketball, tennis, and pickleball courts, the Sixth Avenue Skate Park, which is beautiful. The mural there is stunning. Um, they've also redone the... the um, playground surface at, at Dolores, along with water bottle fillers, gymnasium floors, um, pool renovation and turf replacement at Mather, and multiple other improvements. They are very busy, and I'm happy to work with them. This is our image for um, our map for recent and planned acquisitions. Um, we now need to add Mission Bay on here, so we will be before you. Um, having to transfer Mission Bay over to the city. Um, and over the next couple of years, we will have the Trans Bay Block 3 and Potrero Central Park, and hopefully Schlagloch will start moving again as well. That is the end of the, of the capital expenditure plan, and next I'm going to delve into the second bond sale for the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond. This image shows you the um, chart of what we requested funding for in the first issuance and what we were requesting funding for in the second issuance. It will um, be no more than $30 million. Um, the audit and issuance actually may be 1.5, so um, that's a, a little bit of a typo on that one. Uh, but we are hoping for it to be less than $1 million. We are going with two other um, depart two other bond bonds, so our portion of the bond sale will be relatively small. Here you can see our encumbrances and our projected encumbrances through uh, December 2023, showing why we need the um, second bond sale. We are um, shifting, just go to the next slide. We are shifting, as we discussed um, with the contract award of Gene Friend, we are going to provide some bridge funding from the bond. The maximum amount of funding that we um, would provide from the bond would include some funding from the contingencies for the name projects and the programs, as well as um, three million from playgrounds, six million from sustainability, and we will backfill those with the development impact fees as soon as they arrive. Construction is expected to begin in mid 23, and these are the. Um, recovery park projects that we plan to fund with the second bond sale. So we have, we will be uh, funding up to $3 million for Buena Vista, South Sunset Clubhouse renovations, up to $3 million from the bond with $2.3 million from state funds. And Crocker Amazon Baseball Field has a $15 million bond budget 
um, where we are renovating baseball fields and improving related facilities. And Richmond Senior Park at the Golden Gate Park Senior Center has a $1 million bond budget. Now, we're not selling all of the funds for um, Crocker and Richmond. Together, those two together, we are selling $3.5 million to um, get us through planning and design at Crocker and start the Senior Center work. And here we have um, our remaining allocation of funds, $7.8 million, is going to citywide parks, um, where we'll be upgrading existing facilities, restoration of natural features, um, such as Middle Lake, improving recreational assets, such as multi-use courts, picnic areas, connectivity and access. We also have $6.3 million that'll be going towards the Community Opportunity Fund, <clears throat> playgrounds, and um, community gardens so that we can move forward with our many projects that we want to deliver for all of us. That is it for my presentations. And um, again, the agenda items before you are to approve the capital expenditure plan and to approve and recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve the second bond sale of the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond uh, um, to not to exceed $30 million. Thank you so much. I'm here for questions. I don't have any requests to speak. Do we have any public comment? I don't see any in person. Okay, I'd like to first um, move on item 11 to approve the capital expenditure plan of FY2425. <coughs> Do I have a motion and a second? So moved. Second. All those in favor state aye. 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 It's unanimous. It is approved. Thanks, Dace. Item 13, this is to recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve a second sale of the 2020 Health and Recovery General Obligation Bond issuance not to exceed $30 million, et cetera, et cetera. Do I have a motion and a second? So moved. Second. All those in favor, state aye. 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 That is also unanimous. Motion carries. We're now on item 12, Recreation and Park Department Budget Overview. As a reminder, this item is discussion only. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Antonio Guerra, Director of Administration and Finance, to discuss a budget overview of the fiscal year 23-24 and 24-25 budget. And I think as we prepare to get the slide. Thank you, Stacy. by the way. Good job. <laughs> And I think the slides are almost ready. Okay, they are ready. All right, so um, as I mentioned earlier, this is the fiscal year 23, 24, and 24, 25 budget overview presentation. This is the first of three presentations we'll be making um, to either the commission or the operations committee. Next slide, please. Our agenda for today, we're gonna take a look at the budget cycle and Proposition B. We're gonna look back at what was added in the fiscal year 22-23 budget. We'll take a look at the city's fiscal outlook and mayoral direction. Uh, we, we will look at the rec park budget overview and fiscal outlook and provide next steps in the schedule. Next slide. So first, the budget cycle and Proposition B. Next slide. So beginning in September, when the mayor's budget office takes a look at their assumptions for the deficit for the year and concluding in July, the annual budget cycle can be divided into three major stages. And we're in this first stage right now. 
budget preparation, which is the development and submission to the Board of Supervisors. So, you know, people always ask me within the department who don't understand the budget process, when do I get to talk to you about what I want to add? And this is the time. We've talked about the capital expenditure plans, the strategic plans, but this is really when the rubber hits the road and we want to add things into our annual budget because we have a goal of developing a plan to accomplish those goals and objectives in the upcoming fiscal year. So next slide. Proposition B, as many of you are familiar with, back in 2016, we are scheduled to receive a minimum baseline amount from the general fund. That is $3 million annually. And uh, in previous hearings, you've often heard us use that $3 million number. That is through fiscal year 25, uh, 26. And then beginning in fiscal year 26, 27, According to the language of the proposition, that baseline would adjust by the percentage increase or decrease in aggregate city discretionary revenues. So not right now, but in the future, we will be talking a little bit differently about this baseline. And the, the thing that we need to keep in mind is that the city can suspend baseline growth when the deficit exceeds $200 million adjusted annually by changes in that aggregate discretionary revenue number. So that right now is $261 million for the current fiscal year. The deficit is, which we'll get to, is under that number, so that threshold trigger will not be pulled, but $270 million in 24-25. And finally, that proposition extended the open space fund until 2046, and that is two and a half cents for each $100, each $100 of assessed property value. As we develop this budget, as I mentioned earlier, we have quite a few charter mandated plans, the strategic plan, the operational plan, and the capital plan. Equity metrics are mentioned, as well as uh, the racial equity action plan, phase one, which influences what we uh, put into the budget. I don't want to belabor this since it's been a long meeting, so let's just move on to the next slide since we've already talked about those. I do want to focus on these budget principles, however, because we have made a couple of changes uh, these have been previously approved by the Rec Park Commission, and uh, we would suggest um, using these revisions, and we're going to seek approval in the February Commission meeting. And so I, I'm just going to read these out. They're not too different from what we've had in the past, which focused more on COVID, but the first is to make budget choices that support the city's continuing economic recovery and that most directly align with the department's strategic plan and commitment to equity. We want to continue the essential role parks play by ensuring our spaces remain safe, clean, and accessible. We'd like to preserve programs and services that support equitable park access, recreation, and youth development for high-needs families and vulnerable populations. We want to honor voter investment in parks and facilities by minimizing cuts to dedicated funding for maintenance. We'd like to uphold our responsibility as environmental stewards and support the city's adaptation policies. And that's a new edit, as we've just seen from the storms that have affected the parks and the city overall. It's, it's very important. Type of climate adaptation policies, Antonio. Climate adaptation policies, excuse me. Uh, pursue new ideas and partnerships that improve service delivery, operational efficiency, and which continue to replace earned revenues impacted by the pandemic and continue to support and cultivate a diverse, connected, and engaged workforce that delivers outstanding service. So I'd like to look back at the 22-23 budget because we actually did add quite a few um, targeted investments. So next slide. Uh, the first is the Golden Gate Park shuttle having funding for seven days a week service. 
Um, just an update, I, I believe this is now, the schedule is now on Google Maps as well, but this was a, um, a major, uh, major investment. Uh, we added over $800,000 in the budget to ensure this service along uh, throughout Golden Gate Park, and um, it's been a success. Mission Bay Parks, as Stacy mentioned, we're anticipating a transfer of former redevelopment project area parcels in Mission Bay, and we added 11 new positions in the budget, and they're technically starting in May of this fiscal year because, you know, if, if we are taking, uh, taking over operations on July 1, we will need to have a little bit of time to get ready. Um, and we are expecting additional community facilities district funding from the Office of Community and um, Investment and Infra Infrastructure in fiscal year 23-24 to support those positions. We have the new operations model for the gardens at Golden Gate Park. Uh, where the Botanical Garden Society now operates all three of the gardens, Botanical Garden, Conservatory of Flowers, and the Japanese Tea Garden. And in 23-24 of this budget, we are scheduled to open 900 Ennis and Hers Plays Playground Rec Center, uh, and we added two custodians, two gardeners, and one custodial supervisor. In the next slide, we talk a little bit about recreation leader funding, where we added $1.25 million in both 22-23 and 23-24. Um, which basically gets us back to where we were in fiscal year 1920, um, because we did we did have to reduce the amount of temp staffing uh, temp staff funding available during the pandemic. We also added three recreational specialist positions to bolster athletics. Uh, we added two museums at the uh, two museums excuse me two positions at the Randall Museum. Uh, I think we need a few more positions than that if we added two museums to the portfolio of Rec Park. And additionally, two gardeners, uh, one at Sharp and one at Golden Gate Park Golf Course. And then finally, in uh, the mayor uh, allocated an additional 10 park ranger positions. Uh, we requested 40 because we believe 40 is the amount necessary for a park system of our size based on a previous analysis. Uh, and I do believe that we will be requesting additional park rangers from the mayor again. We also have a disability access coordinator and program manager, um, and the hiring process is underway for that position, and they would facilitate programmatic and facility access for all. So on to the fiscal outlook and the mayoral direction. Next slide. Uh, as, as I mentioned previously, next year's deficit is $201 million. That is below the threshold of two, two, roughly 260. Um, but in 24-25, right now, that is an additional $528 million, which uh, is significant. And so that's a total of $728 million over the next two budget years. And the reason for that is we've had a weakening revenue outlook due to the economy and loss of federal revenues uh, from the pandemic, where we were receiving reimbursement. Uh, we do have a higher base wages for employees and growing health benefit costs. Uh, the third bullet point, I really, we had a lot of savings last year, but unfortunately this year we do have increased pension costs due to the recent market downturn. And we also have new and growing general fund commitments that increase annually. There are some uncertainties to this forecast. The pace of downtown recovery and office vacancies uh, which will affect the amount of revenue and economic activity that, that uh, allows us to grow as a city government, the impacts of high inflation and interest rates, 
continued cutbacks in the tech sector and other local industries, as well as the risk of a recession. And so the following two slides, if we can move to the first one, Tiffany. This slide is from the mayor's budget directions. It's a citywide office vacancy rate slides, uh, slide. And it starts in March of 2006. And I think the thing to point out, if you look at the Great Recession years, 2008, 2009, 2010, the largest office vacancy rate ever, ever uh, the largest vacancy rate in San Francisco was just above 15%. But then we recovered as a city all the way to March 2019 during a second dot-com boom in the city to the point of 5% in the down, down core in March 2019. But after that pandemic hit and we started to see hybrid work schedules and um, softening of the economy, currently we're nearly at 30% vacancy rates in downtown. And what we have been told by our city economists and uh, the controller's office is that while there will be a recovery, the projected recovery on this slide is somewhat of a new normal where we're not expecting office vacancy to improve to where it was anytime soon. So that has two effects on us. The first is there's less economic activity which supports city revenue. And the second is the value of the underlying property also uh, potentially takes a hit, which as I've mentioned earlier, the open space fund directly um, is directly affected by property tax revenue. So the next slide is uh, a look at our pension contributions over the years. And I really just wanna focus on the split there. Last year we paid as a city 415 million to the San Francisco retirement system. We had originally budgeted because we had an amazing year uh, in the pension system, uh, $305 million. That made up our base. Unfortunately, the new estimate due to the uh, system, the retirement system, system having uh, somewhat of a bad year is now $366 million. It's about 20% higher than expected. It's still less then fiscal year 22-23, we're still on a downward trajectory, but that's money that we assumed that we weren't gonna have to pay and that directly affects this forecast as well. Next slide. So the mayor has four key priorities. These haven't changed since the last budget instructions. It's the recovery of the local economy with a focus on downtown and the economic core, the improving public safety, improvement of public safety and street conditions, reducing homelessness and transforming mental health service delivery and accountability and equity, equity in services and spending. Next slide. And the specific budget instructions to departments, these aren't very exciting unfortunately because this budget isn't, doesn't look very promising due to the deficit numbers but we're really been told to prioritize filling or reclassifying vacancies for core departmental functions and mayoral priorities propose remaining vacancies for budget savings, maintain the mayoral initiatives that we've added uh, last year, and recommend ways to fund more efficiently, and also prepare for the outlook to worsen. So specifically for our department as a budget overview and fiscal outlook. Next slide. This is our base budget in fiscal year 23-24. It's 246.5 uh, million dollars, and 58% of that is spent on personnel. It's salary and fringe. That's 
the core of our department, and 90% of that personnel is the rec and park of rec and park. It's operations. It's recreations, it's parks and open space, structural maintenance, park rangers. It's the people that you see out in the field, and the other 10% is the administration. Uh, next slide. So you've often heard during these budget uh, overviews about our revenues consisting of a third of the general fund, a third of the open space, and a third of earned revenues. And it's not quite like that anymore. Earned revenues have just not kept pace, mostly because of the pandemic. It, earned revenues are in the yellow bars there. It, we had a high of 51.8 back in 1819. We took a hit during the pandemic because of uh, less economic activity, as well as less recreation programming. In the current budget, we're at 57.5 million, which is higher than what we were back in 1819, which is great, but if we were really keeping up with inflation, we'd be much higher. And the 23-24 base, roughly $58.7 million. So we're not quite where we were uh, when you look at our revenues as a whole. And the only other thing I'd mention on this slide as we look at the general fund baseline in, in the 23-24 base, which is the far right uh, bars, that's at 85.2 million. What we have right now for the open space fund is $77.7 .7 million. And that's actually 1.9 million less than what we balanced around last year because the city controller's office reduced the property tax estimate. So already, before we even get started, that's a $1.9 million reduction to our budget. Next slide. So onto the budget planning and schedule, and I've joked that this slide is somewhat of a Rorschach check. Uh, Rorschach. Uh, it's a test. Is that a sunset or a sunrise? I don't know, but I'm hopeful that this budget will be a sunrise for the department. Yeah. Next slide. Okay. <laughs> to the positive. So we have our current operating revenues projected to come close to budget in the current fiscal year. It's not 100% sure we're gonna exactly hit it, but we will be close. Uh, some um, revenue sources are good. Some revenue sources are not as strong as we thought they were gonna be, but for the most part, we think it will be even. To the negative, we've had a $500,000 increase in retirement costs added to the base that we need to take account of. Um, before we even opened the budget, as well as that open space property tax projection being lower than what was originally budgeted. And what's still to be determined is, since this is a two-year budget and we balance around two years, uh, we're not sure we're going to get that $3 million of general fund in fiscal year 24-25 due to the citywide deficit projection. I mentioned on a previous slide the threshold's at around $270 million, and currently the projection is over that, but that is still to be determined. We also ha anticipate some greater than inflation price increases in water and wastewater rates from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission plus the addition of a stormwater surcharge. That is to come once we have more info, we can present that to the commission. And so our next steps are really, we're gonna analyze all potential revenue changes, solicit program enhancement and efficiency proposals from our divisions in the department. We're gonna complete budget outreach and the commission approval process and submit to the mayor a balanced budget proposal on February 21st. And so the next slide, budget outreach, we are currently presenting to the commission. On the 24th, we will have our first community budget meeting in person. On February 1st, we are going to have an all-staff budget brown bag. 
Uh, on February 2nd, we will have an update at the Operations Committee. On the 7th, we go to Prozac. On the 8th, we will have a second community budget meeting. This will be virtual. 16th will be February Commission, uh, where you consider the budget. And on the 21st, we will submit the budget to the Mayor's Office and Controller's Office. And then finally, on June 1st, the Mayor's Office will submit the budget to the Board of Supervisors. That was a long presentation with a lot of information <laughs> after a long meeting. I am happy to take any questions you might have. Let's start with public comment. Is there any public comment on this item? Either hands raised or in room 416. Okay, seeing, well, hold on one second. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Commissioner Griffin. Uh, thank you for the presentation. Um, what is the rate of request for reassessment uh, for property? Are you do you know that, or is that something we'd have to get from the controller? Or? I think it'd have to come from the controller and the assessor's office. Usually, um, those go to the assessor recorder. So, okay, thanks. Um, okay, and so we're looking at a $221.6 million budget, is that right? I added up the three columns at the end of the graphic. Yeah, you know, those are our three main sources of revenue. It's actually a little bit more than that, okay. and so it's, I don't want to add the grants that we get or the occasional bond funding. So for example, last year for um, certain projects, we got community of, um, See what are known as COPs, debt from the city. Mm -hmm. So that's these are the three main sources of funding for operations. Okay. So the entire budget includes money for capital, which is it, it goes up, it goes down, depending on what we receive. Sometimes we get development impact fees for capital projects. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, and, for the most part, these are the three key revenue sources. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but maybe you can just speak generally. When we... Um, do sort of an unexpected initiative like we did with the $800,000 for the shuttles in Golden Gate Park. Yay, awesome. How did we come up with those funds? You know, just for the general public, it's like, okay, we have this sudden need. How did we do that? So the way I do it as a CFO is we very often have general fund baseline money or we have our operating budget. So within the general, um, the parks and open space Golden Gate Park budget, we have non-personnel, and we were already providing some shuttle service, so we just add on to the purchase order with the amount of money that we have. But for the full year, we do need to budget a full amount for the shuttle. So that's kind of how we do it. Um, we budget on personnel, materials, and supplies. It's an overall budget. Like, if we literally budgeted for every single line item, the budget would probably be 1,000 pages long, so. Yeah. The shuttle was the uh, the year-long 22-23 expansion of shuttle service was put in last year's budget um, and approved by the yeah. by the board um, and supported by the mayor. So, um, but mid-year, we use all kinds of tricks, and Antonio, for those of you who may not know him as well, Antonio comes to us after... Uh, a lot of experience uh, in the mayor's office, and then spent uh, uh, time honing his craft with Stacy as our uh, capital planning finance manager, and uh, he is uh, as good as any in the business. Yeah, so I wanted to feature I, that because that's been very important to our community. And I will say, it's not a trick, Phil. We actually do have non-personal, but <laughs> no, no, I, I, for I trick was meant <laughs> yes, of uh, course, facetiously meaning yeah. that 
you know, we try to figure out, um, uh, you know, we, you never know what the year is going to throw at us. And so you start with a budget, which is basically like a planning document, right? It's, it's a strategic plan for the year. And then as circumstances shift, you figure out how to meet uh, the need in the moment. And there are very clear guardrails from the controller about using certain types of money for certain types of reasons and using other types of funding for other types of reasons. And you can't mix those. But with that said, understanding, you know, sort of the, the, the rules and the levers does, uh, can help us achieve a certain amount of flexibility throughout the year. Well done. Commissioner Louie. Well, we just want to commend you. I mean, I can't even keep my personal finances in order, and here you are balancing a whole department. So, you know, we the, all to all the capital people, capital staff, Stacey, Antonio, thank you so much. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you. thank you. All right. I think that's it. That was just a um, presentation for discussion only. We'll be voting on the budget next commission meeting. Thank you. We are now on item 14, Lake Merced West Project, CEQA findings and project approval. Next speaker. We, we uh, this is a surprise for you guys. We'd like to have Order another. This is a surprise for you all. We'd like to have another um, another uh, conversation about pickleball. <laughs> Get out of uh, here. Good afternoon, now, commissioners. Um, so uh, thank you. Um, this is Dana Ketchum, director of property and permits and reservations. I'm again, trying the hybrid approach here. Um, so I'm here to talk about the Lake Merced West project. And uh, today we're taking some formal action under CEQA. So I'm gonna read the agenda language. Uh, discussion and possible action to adopt California Environmental Quality Act findings, including findings of fact, evaluation of mitigation measures and alternatives and statement of overriding considerations for the Lake Merced West project to adopt findings of consistency with the San Francisco general plan and priority policies of the San Francisco planning code section 101.1 and to approve a project to deliver improvements as generally described in the EIR to be delivered in phasing phases starting with an SFPUC project for remediation of the site and followed by improvements identified in this plan. I, jumping computers. I wanna thank um, the people who are here um, available to answer questions and joining me. Um, first, as part of this project team, 
Our project sponsor partner has been the SFPUC. Um, just as a reminder, the SFPUC technically owns this land. Um, and we'll be bringing you shortly an updated MOU with them. And uh, Obi Nizawi, which I probably butchered his name, uh, who is the principal environmental planner on the project and has been incredibly uh, helpful throughout this project. Um, we also have present, I saw her, Julie Moore from the plan department who has guided us uh, through the project, as well as our planning and capital staff sitting here with me, behind me, uh, all of whom are in instrumental in, um, in making this happen. Um, and uh, with that, I'll go back over here. Um, so a little bit of history back on Lake Merced. Um, the Pacific Rod and Gun Club uh, operated from 1934 to 2005-15. They offered skeet and trap and shooting. Uh, it, is, it was deemed a cultural landscape that could be eligible for listing in the National Restor Register of Historic Places due to its historic association with sport hunting and skeet. Um, after the, uh, the, the Rod and Gun Club left, the PUC completed a soil remediation project in 2016 um, due to debris uh, had, that had been left on the site due to the years of shooting. Um, just a little background for those of you who, I, I can't remember who was here at the time, but after the remediation, we did do an RFP looking for someone to um, to come up with a plan for the use of the site that's going to look a lot like the plan I'm about to present. Uh, we did, I get a respondent. Uh, we worked closely with the respondent, um, but the economics of trying to do that with some of the historic buildings still on the site um, made it not financial viable. And that is why this EIR was done. Um, so the department proposes the project, which would create a recreational facility. Uh, we need the EIR since the project would involve demolition of most of the contribution, cont contributing features of the historically significant cultural landscape. And the plan planning department determined that an EIR was required. And the project plan that I'm about to present for, is for EIR purposes is a wide array of potential uses, whereas the future capital project that we will be coming to you may be more modest in scope without requiring further EIR analysis. Um, the EIR analyzed in tremendous detail, and you have the, um, seen the plans, demolition of most contributing buildings of historically significant cultural landscape. Um, the possibility of a wide array of potential active and passive uses, and the impact of the possible construction of the five, of five future buildings on the site. Um, we had a number of objectives that were analyzed um, to uh, review and, and contemplate the future, uh, including uh, taking advantage of the waterfront, maximizing lake views, coming up with an economically feasible plan, creating an office and storage yard for the PUC, um, an elk, an an accessible and welcoming environment, code compliant buildings, and enhanced pub, uh, awareness of these areas. 
Um, the EII evaluated ideas for the site at a high level. It does not prescribe, and we are not coming here today, what exactly should happen on the site. After this approval, we will work to develop those specifics through a community process and refine what is important at the site, from boating to skateboarding, ropes courses to picnicking. Those ideas will then be included in an RFP for the site where respondents will give us their best plans and we will decide through a public process what exactly is going to happen. Elements that were analyzed that could be included, this is a great list, a community building, a playground, basketball courts. It's not, these aren't necessarily all there, but these were what was analyzed. Um, restroom and storage building, walking parks, skate parks, uh, boating options, ropes, ropes courts, and picnic areas. So you will see there is a plan um, that was developed, taking into account the various features of what it could look like and how they could be placed to maximize all of these different features. Um, there was a project variant that was also done. The community came back from the first analysis and was concerned that maybe we would want a bigger boathouse. And this didn't actually study a bigger boathouse and what its impact, so that could have um, purpose impacts for future CEQA analyses requiring more CEQA work. So a variant was done by our planning team, thank you, uh, for a larger boathouse, which you will see, and it concluded that it did not change any of the mitigation measures or the um, analysis. After the full analysis, the, um, the proposal came back with some um, mitigation, monitoring, uh, and reporting programs for the future that we, together with the PUC, intend to comply with. Um, the significant impact of this proposal is the historical architectural resources. And there are four measures that um, we would be committing to do. Documentation of historical resources video documentation of that historical use and emphasizing and reminding interpretive programs, oral histories. We are also keeping the elements of one of the skeet fields so when you would go you could still um, recognize what was there. And then there were a number of less than significant impacts and we do have mitigation measures for those. So where are we on steps? Next steps. The Planning Commission uh, unanimously certified the EIR and its conclusions last week. Today, we're asking you to adopt the CEQA findings, findings of consistency with the general plan and priority policies of the planning code, and approval of a project to deliver some or all of the improvements described in the EIR. Next steps, we have a lot of work to do with the community, and that's on us. Um, we um, will work to develop and issue an RFP for the site uh, by this summer. Um, and we and or the concessionaire may um, choose to develop only certain elements, um, and that will be coming back to you with. In the meantime, as soon as this is done, the PUC plans to begin work on phase one, which would be to demolish and remediate the, remediate the buildings. So the buildings come down and there's still some cleanup and remediation that needs to be done, but it can't be done effectively until the buildings came down. So they're hoping to get that done in 
late 2023. And also the PUC has a small area for any arborist office to support its work throughout the city. And um, that construction is still in flux as to when that would start. Um, once we are expecting that once the demolition and cleanup is done, that we will be able to open the space just for the public to walk through. Thank you for the presentation. I and this amazing team behind me are available to answer any and all questions. Okay, we're now moving to public comment. I do have one speaker card from Sam, if you wanna come up and speak. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, commissioners. It's good to see all, see all of you. Uh, thank you, Dana. Thank you, the rest of the team. It has been quite uh, an eye-opening and invigorating and exciting process over the past few years. So I just want to share my support uh, from the Lake Merced uh, rowing community and say, again, what an incredible job that every single person in here has put into this. So it's a real piece of amazing work. Thank you. Well, thank you. Commissioner Griffin. Oh, we have, we have one hand raised online. Oh, sorry. That's okay. First speaker. Hi, I'm Chris Elkan with Golden Gate Audubon, and I really appreciate all the work you're doing. I just wanted to congratulate you on the effort. Uh, I'm referring to the specific issues having to do with monitoring the status and uh, existence of at-risk birds that we have at Lake Merced and the nesting birds. So I just have some very specific questions. In um, this comment where you mentioned that a qualified biologist would conduct surveys of the project site for active nests during nesting season and would establish protective measures around active nests such as restricting certain construction activities in buffer zones during the time of year when and where birds are breeding and nesting. Well, what we would like to know, uh, the San Francisco uh, Golden Gate Audubon Conservation Committee is who is the qualified biologist and may we be in contact with this person regarding his or her schedule? Thank you. Your time's up. <clears throat> Duly do have, noted. Do we have any other hands raised? No further callers, public comment is closed. I'm going to use my chair prerogative to say, can we come up with a response to that last commenter's question? Uh, yes, I can. Um, so we don't have a specific plan yet. Okay. Um, and once we do, we will be coming back with the community with all of the details on how we're going to implement that plan. And uh, we will be sure to share that. Thank you. We still have a number of months to look ahead. So thank you. All right, Commissioner Griffin. Yeah, the one thing I'm not clear about is how do we get around this historical thing? It's not a get around. It's a get through. This is exactly what you're doing right now. Um, we are the adopting the CEQA findings is included within that. It's a statement of overriding considerations, which explains that 
Um, while there are historic, significant and unavoidable historic impa impacts to the historic resources, we are saying that the project, the work that will be done here, the way we're going to open it up to the public with all of these different amenities, it's worth losing the, removing the historic features. And we are still maintaining that skeet field and there's, you know, there's elements that we're maintaining as part of the um, proposed project. But the, the, that, that's, the, that's the concept. And is it up to the state to grant that? No, it's up to us. So the Planning Commission certified the EIR last week. So they have said that they agree with the findings, the staff, the work that the staff and our con our consultants have done to say that this is um, appropriate, this is um, a good analysis. And for the Rec and Park Commission, it's your role to say that the, that you approve that this project or a project similar to this will go forward and with the understanding that we are going to remove some of these historic resources, um, but that it's worth it because the project is uh, worthwhile to do. Okay. I just wondered since I'm a historical relic. <laughs> and, you know, as part of the... We have the, to watch out for one another. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we're doing is, uh, you know, the mitigation measures is that we're codifying things, we're taking pictures, we're sharing and celebrating the stories and the history. And so we're not completely wiping it out and saying goodbye, it never happened. Okay. We are saying this is, um, the, this is something that happened here in the past. This is, we're commemorating it, and here's how we're going to use it in the future, and we're able to open it up to public recreation. And we'll see it in the library room, San Francisco room in the public library. Yes, and um, likely online so that, yeah. you know, we are moving with the future. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Commissioner Mazzola. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for your work on this item. I think it's exciting. Um, I'm familiar with the spot. I live near there. I've been to, uh, back in the day, many functions at the little clubhouse out there. And it is definitely time yeah. for uh, an improvement out there. And I uh, like the general plan, and I'll be supporting this because I think uh, it definitely needs to be updated, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for that spot. So thank you. Any other thoughts? Uh, commissioners, you might turn to page 575 out of 675. The stack, staff recommendation is what I would like us to move and second. I'll so give moved. you a second to take a look at that. It's pretty precise language. I would like someone to move to adopt the staff recommendation as worded on page 575 of our materials. I will make that motion that we Well, we've got to move, and you want us to do a second. Motion oh, and a second. second. Okay. All those Sorry. in favor, hey. state aye. 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 It is unanimously approved. Thank you, everybody. <clears throat> Thanks for coming, Sam. That was a long haul for you. Do you have a dog? No. Okay. Um, what's next on the agenda? We're now on item 15, closed session. Hi, At the everybody. moment, we'll need to take public comment on all matters pertaining to item 15, closed session. So um, assuming there's no one in room 416, is there anyone... Okay, we do have one hand raised on our call-in line. Go ahead and unmute the first speaker. Go ahead, please. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was following along somebody behind yesterday who looked a lot like you, so I just... All right. 
Caller, are you there? Caller? I'm going to call this. Zip. We're done. Caller's gone. Okay. Seeing no further callers, public comment is closed. Um, we are now going to... Um, We're going to go into closed session as soon as everyone who is supposed to leave the room gets a chance to leave the room. I'm going to um, stand up and go put the notice outside that this is a closed session. So Let's while I do that... Let's have a three-minute break. Let's be back at 116. I'm going to start at 116. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television. First, we're going to need to um, have a motion and a second to go into closed session. That's right. So moved. Second. Thank All those you. in favor, state aye. 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 Any opposition? None. Let's go. Um, Suze, could you do me a favor to... Oh, I'm unmuting myself. Hold on.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
report on the action taken in closed session? I may propose no. A second for that, please. Second. All in favor state aye. 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 It's unanimous. Commissioners, I now need a motion and a second on whether to disclose any or all discussions held in closed session. Move not to disclose Vo discussions. Second. All those in favor, state aye. 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 No opposition. Thank you. Yep, I just unmuted it, thanks. Okay, <clears throat> so um, I, I do know that we don't have any callers on our line currently and we don't have any members of the public in the audience, but I am <laughs> gonna run quickly through the next few items for those who may be watching or listening and aren't, aren't clear on that. Um, so we have item 16, general public comment. Seeing none, public comment is closed. We're not item 17, commissioners matters. Anything from the commissioners? For Commissioner Mazzola, may I speak? Thank you. Um, I was going to bring this up after Phil's report, but I'll bring it up now. I just think that, you know, it's not every day that a tragedy happens like what happened in our park. And uh, I would recommend that we uh, have a moment of silence when we adjourn for Beth Louise Abrams. And in her memory. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Anything else, commissioners? Okay, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We're now on item 18, new business agenda setting. Anything from the commissioners? Okay, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We're now on item 19, communications. Seeing no public comment on communications, public comment is closed. And we're now on item 20, adjournment. Did you wanna, I don't know, do we need a motion to adjourn in, in Beth Louise Abrams' memory? Well, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to just affirm what uh, Commissioner Mazzola said. And I'd also like to add, I don't think we've mentioned this before, but literally a large man in the India Basin Neighborhood Association, large presence and huge advocacy, passed away at the end of last year, Michael Hammond. So I would also like us to acknowledge uh, the great life of Michael Hammond when we adjourn. Okay. Um, apologies for interrupting on that. We did have a caller pop up on wanting to comment on communications. Is that amenable to the chair? I'm sorry, what did you say? Uh, a caller popped up raising their hand on wanting to comment on the communications item. Okay, go Is ahead. Is that okay? Okay. Unmute the caller. Yes, this is Dan Clark. I'm assuming you can hear me. Yes. Yes. Yes, I want to comment on a letter that I wrote to the commission just a couple of weeks ago. It's about Gas House Cove. It's about a bribe that was uh, uh, part of that and the power struggle between PG&E and how that affects the environment. Okay, please note that you have one minute and you'll get a 30-second warning. Go ahead, please. I understand. Um, on the environment, if... If Reckon Park was successful in their negotiation with PG&E, they would have removed 42% of the contamination that's in Gas House Cove. They should have been going for 100%, but they would have, were going for 42%. The deal that they made with PG&E removes only 15%, which is totally in the opposite direction and is really a disgraceful act. Um, and it was coupled with a bribe where money was transferred from PG&E's side of the ledger over to Reckon Park side of the ledger in a kind of an underhanded and sneaky way. 
Um, all of that goes to uh, what, what I believe has, has been conducted over 20 year period and then more recently in the last couple of years between uh, Rec and Park and PG&E and the deal that was, that was struck between those two um, sometime about a year ago. And I, I, it's an unethical uh, action, it's immoral, I believe it may be illegal. Talking to the, Thank to you. The Thank you. Time's up. And we did receive your communication. Okay. All right. So I have a motion from Commissioner Mazzola to adjourn. I need a second. Second. All those in favor of adjournment, state aye. 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 Adjourned at 1.56 p.m. Thank you.